You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Another edition of the, what is it, the bi-monthly phenomenon that is Attitude of Aggression right now. <clears throat> Every couple months, an episode comes out, right? Something like that. <sighs> Something along those lines. Anyway, that's that's not the intent, but that's kind of what happened here on this episode. This is actually episode 275 of the Attitude of Aggression wrestling podcast as we kind of march an inch closer to 300 we're going to get there one of these decades i think maybe possibly if i keep uh keep doing this stay alive keep doing uh bandwagon nerds and and all the other shows and and maybe uh you know throw in a little bit of this here and there eh, not a bad idea every so often you know it's a good time always fun to talk wrestling but on this episode 275 it is chapter three of the big four project here on the attitude of aggression wrestling podcast and um these two uh pay-per-views that we're covering on this episode uh these are this is like the one of my favorite parts of pro wrestling history we're getting into the sweet spot of it here if you recall the last episode that we did tunny and i were on here and we talked uh, WrestleMania three and survivor series 87. And on this one, we talk the first Royal rumble, 1988 Royal rumble, 88. And we also talk WrestleMania four. Now here's the fun thing about this episode is we recorded the Royal rumble 88 review. I think it was like the weekend of, excuse me, the weekend of a uh, WrestleMania backlash, WrestleMania backlash. Uh, that's how long ago it was. And then we kept wanting to get back to WrestleMania four, but something always came up with our schedules. And, and I started like, I uh, actually took up for the first time in many years, started playing golf again. And so, you know, Tony, who's a much, much, much better golfer than I will ever be was giving me pointers and trying to help me out. And, and I was enjoying that and our schedules were clashing and we just like, we're going to do it. Then we ended up doing something different and um, it just was kind of that way. So, 
we didn't record the WrestleMania four uh, review until two days ago. And actually it was a day of SummerSlam 2022. <laughs> and suffice it to say that in between WrestleMania backlash and SummerSlam, uh, things changed a bit in the world of pro wrestling. And that's me being sarcastic because that things change massively in the world of pro wrestling. And, and you're going to hear some of that on this episode that, uh, of course, I'm talking about the big news. The unthinkable has happened. Vince McMahon retired from pro wrestling. Triple H is in charge. SummerSlam went down. Uh, I'm recording this after raw has ended this little intro and outro to this episode. I recording this after raw ended tonight, uh, which was, you know, one of triple H's first real shows in charge of raw. Um, I'll I'll kind of offer my thoughts on that on the back end of this thing, but but that's kind of the backdrop of this thing. So um, we're gonna you know I'm gonna hit the big four music in just a minute. We'll get right into the uh, well. We'll take a commercial break first. Do some pay some bills a little bit. Um, and I also want to remind you the attitude of aggression does appear on the Chairshot Radio Network, a part of the Chairshot.com. We remind you to always use your head and go over to Pro Wrestling Tees forward slash the Chairshot, where there is a abundance of t-shirts that you can choose. In general, $19.99 for standard style for a few bucks extra. You can get it soft style, which will feel better on your epidermis, as Tunny would say, or on your giblets, as Patrick O'Dowd likes to say on Bandwagon Nerds, that sort of thing. But we're going to take a quick commercial break. And then we'll hit the big four music and get into um, the Royal Rumble 88 review. And then the second commercial will come on and then we'll go into WrestleMania four. I will say that, you know, Tony and I do talk a little bit about what was going on right around WrestleMania backlash, uh, a little bit touching bases on certain things there. And on the second one, we do kind of <laughs> play up the fact that it was a couple month delay in getting to WrestleMania four. But I will say as kind of a prelude to this, that, these are some of my favorite. This is like, you know, Royal Rumble 88, one of my favorite times, and WrestleMania 4, probably the pay-per-view that turned me into a lifelong pro wrestling fan. And I think like one of the things about the Royal Rumble that I don't know if we mentioned it during the review, but uh, afterwards I was kind of looking into a few things about it. And I think it's interesting to note that the first Royal Rumble took place exactly four years to the day after Hulk Hogan won the WWF championship from the Iron Sheik at Madison Square Garden. Um, that does play a big role in, in stuff as far as like uh, the build to WrestleMania four and what went down at WrestleMania four. And you hear Tony and I talking about that, but you know, I'm not going to belabor the point. We're going to get to the first commercial break. Big four music will come on and then we will get into the big four chapter three, Royal Rumble, 1988 WrestleMania four. I'll come back on after WrestleMania four is done offer some final thoughts and that sort of thing. But here you go. First commercial break coming up, and then we will get right into it. I hope you guys enjoy this. This is a really cool chapter, an excellent chapter of the Big Four Project. One of the greatest periods in pro wrestling history starts right here on this chapter. We will get to it in just a moment. Hope you guys like it. Talk to you soon. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Hey folks, PC Tony here. Thanks to our new partnership with Angry Lemonade, you can save 10% on physical products and digital commissions using the promo code CHAIRSHOT. Head to angrylemonade.net to check out their amazing catalog of products and services. Use the promo code CHAIRSHOT to save 10%. That's angrylemonade.net. folks welcome back to the attitude of aggression wrestling podcast i have no idea what number episode this is i think it's actually like 275 or something like that uh i i am just happy as can be to welcome back for chapter three of the big four project the one and only pc tunny we got some fun stuff to talk about we're gonna this one episode well people need to know our personal private lives and stuff but if this sounds a little uneven it's because we're gonna record the first part today and the second part a different day because we got dr strange stuff to do and 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 things like that so we can't get it all done in one shot you dear listener will never know the difference but that's okay but uh, anyway as i said i am joined here by the one and only pc tunny for chapter three of the big four project is we're going to talk about the very first royal rumble royal rumble 1988 which is an interesting event with a fascinating backstory as 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 almost as fascinating or maybe even more fascinating than survivor series 87 was which we covered in chapter two and then on the second half we will talk about wrestlemania 4 which of course uh the big tournament and 
the crowning of the Macho Man Randy Savage as the WWF champion. So we'll get in that into the second in the second part of this. But uh, first off, PC Tunney, I, I know we we're talking off air about uh, an interesting day that you had at work today. Other than oh, other than that, <laughs> how are you doing, my friend? I'm well. I'm well. Glad to be back. Uh, glad to be back doing the project. And uh, yeah, going to have another great show today. We are, we are, and and before we get into the Royal Rumble, though, uh, this tradition on on these big four projects, I got to ask. Let's touch a little bit of just a little bit on the current product because, of course, tomorrow is yeah. WrestleMania. Back, mm-hmm. Backlash, 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 backlash. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, your thoughts on this event that's coming up? I, I mean, do they just need? To, I, I never had a problem with it when it was just backlash. I don't think adding the WrestleMania as a prefix really does anything. Uh, but are, what do you thought? What are your thoughts on this? It's the first post WrestleMania pay per view. The card has gone through some um, interesting changes. We're going to unify the tag titles. Just kidding. Um, but you know, what are what are your thoughts on the event coming up tomorrow? Or are you looking forward to it? Or are you kind of tepid about it? What are your thoughts? No, I'm ready to go. It's it's another pay per view. There's been a good amount of time since WrestleMania. There's been more time from WrestleMania to Backlash than there was from whatever was going on up to WrestleMania, basically, if you kind of counted a few things in between there. So it's been good. I I actually look forward to the card. I think that I hope that Ronda and Charlotte main event it, but a lot of people are saying that six man will probably main event it. Um, There are some other decent matches on the card. Uh, I'm I'm really interested. What what I want to see right now and I'm interested in is I want judgment day to add a tag team. And I wouldn't mind if it was like the, maybe the Viking Raiders. Um, I can't think who else you could maybe put in there. Maybe bring up someone from NXT. But I would love to see that faction get broadened out because I think it would lengthen Edge's career, right? Like there's so much more he can just not have to wrestle, right? Like he can wrestle. He could, If he only has to wrestle twice a year, he could probably get another two cycles from mania to mania after this next mania even. And I think he would want that too. Yeah, there's there's some interesting matches on the card for sure with some with some interesting questions to raise. And notably, I look at like Cody and Seth. And of course, oh, sure. the question is, you know, do you put Cody over a second time in a row? Uh, what does that do to Seth? If you do that, probably not a whole lot. Uh, you know, or, or how are they going in that direction as far as where those two guys are going? Um, Edge and AJ Styles is kind of similar. Like you're talking about Edge's faction and whether AJ really needs to get a win back, probably not again. You know, it's another one of these probably not situations. But to me, the ones that stand out are, you know, Ronda Charlotte and I in an I quit match. Everything is telling me that Ronda's got to win this thing. But then again, it's Charlotte and Charlotte wins LOL. And and I, you know, most of us didn't see her prevailing at WrestleMania. And, and there you go. But that's, I guess, the one I want to ask you about most is, is you mentioned Charlotte and Ronda and that it should main event. Uh, how do you see that one going down? And I, I know you probably talked about it on DWI already, uh, but I'm just kind of, you know, because, you know, I didn't get the invite. That's just kind of. <laughs> it's an open invite. <laughs> I know. Uh, but, but how do you see this one going down? Which, I mean, it, 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 does Ronda have to win? The, is this almost like a must win for her? Because. This whole idea of Ronda being a face has not gone over very well. People just don't seem to care, um, you know, and they, and they kind of need to do something with her at this point. It's all a question of us not knowing what her contract is like. How many dates does she have to be at? How long is the contract? I'm not sure of any of those things. As far as the storyline has been going, I, I don't 
necessarily know that whether or how well or not it's going right now would be changed anything they haven't had already planned for months coming into mania um but i don't know i yeah it's tough to pick against charlotte flair at pay-per-views you know i mean she generally doesn't hold the belt for that long but maybe this is the time that that happens and it all depends is rousey going to stick around i mean if she wins then they gotta have another match now we're at money in the bank and SummerSlam is right after that at the end of July. So Yeah, and you got Money in the Bank and SummerSlam both in the month of July. Or Hell in a Cell too. Yeah. Hell in a Cell, I think. It's very strange, very strange. Yeah, I, I don't know. I kinda think I don't know. I, I kinda think Ronda's gotta win. I know like when we did a preview for WrestleMania, I was like, Well, you didn't bring Ronda back, pay her all that money just to have her, you know, lose to Charlotte. But she did. And, and now, you know, you've got this situation where I can't see the issue here is Ronda Rousey quitting. That doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. She stood up to the uh, figure eight last time. So really, what does Charlotte have left in her bag to make her quit? I mean, I guess Ronda winning here would be fine. They could then they get three matches out of it. Right. Then they got one next next month with um, Hell in a Cell. They could finish it with that. Blow it off there. Ronda defends at Money in the Bank, or maybe she doesn't. And then who who does she face at SummerSlam? Then is the thing. You know, who does she give the rub to? Because I don't want to see Charlotte just come back around the other side again. Yeah, maybe Raquel, if she progresses, she might might be worthy of it. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you is is you know now that they switched the this whole bloodline versus um versus Drew McIntyre and uh, RK Bro here's the thing I'm wondering is it's a six man tag event. No titles on the line. As, as we know, Roman has been damn near unbeatable, but this is a situation where some crazy bullshit could go on. Drew could, would they actually let Roman take the pin in this situation and shock us all knowing that, well, it's easily explainable. It won't really kill his momentum or is Roman just untouchable right now until he actually gets pinned. Yeah, I don't see him eating a pinfall here. I could see McIntyre getting the win on one of the Usos um, and that, you know, setting up your main event and, and outside event. Like, like they can all say they have a like RK broken, say, well, now we beat you. Now we get our shot at we want to unify the titles. Right. McIntyre says we won this match. I deserve a title shot against you, Roman Reigns. So I think that's where they're going here. I tend to agree with you. I just. You know, when they made it a six man, I'm thinking, I was like, hmm, you know, Drew's the kind of guy who could hit a Claymore, get a pin on Roman. And it'd be surprising, but at the same time, not really, because it's like, well, Drew's a big guy. And if you really wanted to solidify somebody as a as a true challenger for Roman, which is a big problem that they have right now, is that they don't have anybody who stands right, out as, as a legit threat to him. Do they need to do they need to have Roman get pinned to make him a challenger? You know, I mean, because the streak that he has held the title is one thing, but the streak of him not being pinned, I think, is just as long, if not longer. Yeah, I think. Yeah, exactly. I don't know when they they said it not too long ago when the last time he got pinned is. It's been a long damn time, like three years or some ridiculous. Right. So like I that. would I wouldn't I wouldn't spend that right now. That one would sit in my pocket for a long time. I tend to agree with you. I tend to agree. With you. I, I, I fully expect uh, that Drew and RK bro win this match. Uh, I just don't know if that Roman is going to be the one. To, well, actually, I take that back. I mean, you know, you can't even have I, that's hard because both both sides could use the win. I mean, but probably RK bro and Drew a little bit more just to solidify both of them as, as challengers. 
and and that sort of situation. But yeah, do you, you know, I, I mean, and it, with that kind of situation, Roman can say, I didn't lose. You know, these guys lost for me. That sort of thing. Uh, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how that goes down. But right now, I'm leaning with Drew and RK Bro to take this one just to create some some intrigue heading into what it, what is Hell in the Cell in the next event. Mm-hmm. Hell in a Cell. All right. Well, we'll see what happens, man. Interesting stuff. Uh, well, I I appreciate just touching bases with you on some current stuff, Tony, and and well, sure seeing what's going on with WrestleMania backlash. Back. Uh, Backlash. Back, 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 back something. Backdoor man, back something. I don't know. Oh, WrestleMania, oh WrestleMania, T- backdoor man. There you go. Tasteful backlash. Tasteful backlash. There you go. There's a new T-shirt. We're just coming up with all sorts of ideas. All right. Let's let's talk about the very first Royal Rumble. Royal Rumble 1988, which, um, as we know, <laughs> a few things about this one. This was not an actual pay-per-view. Televised event on USA Network. Uh, that took place at the Cops Coliseum, Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. What was the date of this thing, Tony? I forget. Like January. I, yeah, I I wrote down where it happened and then forgot the date. January twenty fourth, nineteen eighty eight. January twenty fourth, nineteen eighty eight. Um, eighteen thousand in attendance. Vince McMahon and Jesse Ventura on the call. TV rating of eight point two. Yes, we'll talk about the TV rating in a moment. Vince and Jesse are on commentary, as Tony said, January twenty fourth, Cops Coliseum. Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about the backstory of this event because by modern standards, the Royal Rumble is arguably, from a lot of people's standpoint, the best pay per view that WWE of any wrestling company that happens every year. It's the one that we look forward to a tr- every single year. The surprises, the drama, um, you know, and, and this is really where the whole thing originated. And it actually came, it's the brainchild of Pat Patterson. Most people know this, but Pat kind of came up with the idea for this because Pat spent a lot of time up in the, in the San Francisco territory. And according to his autobiography or something in rest in peace to Pat Patterson up in San Francisco, they would have an annual big time battle Royal with a big prize attached to it. And it would become an annual thing that the fans would really get into. So Pat kind of took the idea, massaged it a little bit. The more he thought about it, he came up with the, staggered intervals and that sort of thing and and that's how kind of the idea of the royal rumble was born was born um interesting stuff though that vince mcmahon was not on board with this idea when when it was first presented to him because he thought look it's too long you're not gonna be able to keep the fans attention for an hour you're talking an hour of a match of this sort of magnitude i don't think people are going to be invested in it it's going to be too long people are going to get bored with it the reason the rumble actually came down the way that it did was NBC's Dick Ebersol, who was huge as far as getting the WWF product out there during this time frame. I mean, he's the guy who put them on NBC with Saturday night's main event. He's the one who put them on NBC with the main event as well. Dick actually got the idea and said, you know, these two minute intervals that Pat's talking about, that's going to play out really well on TV. I'm all in on this thing. So Dick sold Vince on it. Vince said, all right, let's go with it. And the rest is history. How, how, so let me kick it over to you at this point, Tony. How big is is this that, you know, that Pat came up with this idea based on an actual existing battle royal, of course, not the intervals, um, surprised that Vince wasn't exactly on board with this initially? No, not at all. I think Vince is smart enough to have always surrounded him 
himself with people as smart and smarter than he is. And he might not admit that to any of their faces, but you're around because he has value. You have value to him that helps him uh, add value to what he's doing. So he said many a times, sometimes I don't get stuff, but if enough people around me that I trust are telling me that that's what needs to happen, then that's what needs to happen. Um, the match did get cut down to 33 and a half minutes by Vince, I would imagine. Uh, there was only 20 of them and not 30. But yeah, it's it's an undertaking. You also don't want to seem like a gimmicky sideshow kind of circus thing at this point where you've just been established as probably the top. You've had WrestleMania 3 by this point already, so... Um, a lot of momentum. You have the biggest star, things of that nature. He wasn't on this card, by the way. Um. <laughs> well, he, he is. He's just not in the match. Right. Right. That's it, what I, it, well, it, you know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. But And I think that's important to point out that the Royal Rumble match itself is kind of window dressing to what's really important that's going on at this point in time. And that is the Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant rematch that's happening in Indianapolis in like 12 days or something. Right. So, yeah, it's it's not even Royal Rumble is not even as big as this February pay-per-view that's about to happen that no one ever fucking heard of. And it wasn't even a pay-per-view, I don't yeah, think. No, it's a televised event from, Mar- I think, Market Square Arena in Indianapolis on February 5th, yeah. 1988. And they called it the main event. But more on that in a moment. But, yeah, I think Dick Ebersol. This guy, I don't know if he gets enough credit from fans, even even hardcore old school fans like us, as just how integral he was to getting oh, yeah. WWF as popular as they were during this time frame, because Saturday night's main event became a really, really big deal. And that was really him and Vince coming together saying, hey, let's put this out there and do this on a very periodic basis. And boom, that really put them over the top. Yeah, the big the big part about this story with Dick Ebersol, though, in my opinion, is his biggest success for the company he worked for is the fact that Raw is on USA, because that is probably one of the most coveted television, cable television programming of the last 30 years. Any cable network would want to have Monday Night Raw on their network, regardless of football or Dancing with the Stars or NBA playoffs or World Series or whatever. Monday Night Raw is going to get you some kind of rating with a brand new show 52 weeks out of the year. And you got to figure Ebersol in relationship with WWE and Universal, that had to play a part, even though they left and came back, but they still came back. Yeah, they did. And and, and you raise some great points there that Raw is, is, I mean, really Raw was just a more, even more regular version of Saturday Night's main event that... Yep. That then expanded in ways that nobody ever saw coming. Um, some other interesting tidbits about this first Royal Rumble is that this was not the actual first Royal Rumble. They actually did a dry run, a practice run of the event in St. Louis, Missouri, on October 4th, 1987, at a house show, of all things. Now, that first event had, and, and reports conflict whether there was 12 or 14 people in the match less than half of what would be in a normal Royal Rumble, that's for sure. Um, One Man Gang actually won that first Royal Rumble, eliminating the Junkyard Dog. Crowd, from what I understood in St. Louis, ate the whole thing up. Love the concept. We're very much into it. Uh, the only part that they didn't dig was that they had announced that whoever won this Royal, Rum- this Royal Rumble-ish type event was going to get a shot at Hulk Hogan. But then they kind of spoiled the ending because... 
before this Rumble match happened, they announced that at the next time they circled around to St. Louis, it was going to be one man gang against Hulk Hogan for the title. <laughs> so the fans kind of shit on this whole thing because as much as they liked the concept, the ending had been spoiled. So they're like, what the fuck, man? Um, but still, I, and I, don't, I don't know if that's something that a lot of people know is that it, it, to, to me, it's kind of interesting. Like, you know, you hearken back a few years later where they when Ric Flair comes into the WWF and they were moving towards Flair Hogan for that main event at WrestleMania eight. And they kind of sent him out on the house show circuit to see how the fans reacted to the whole thing. And they didn't. And that's why they kind of called an audible. Uh, one of the reasons we don't know for sure. We're going to talk about that many chapters from now. But uh, this kind of seems the same thing as like, you know, Vince was saying, interesting concept. I'm not sure I'm on board. Let's try it out and see how it works. From all accounts, that event in St. Louis, which actually took place before the first Survivor Series did, interestingly enough, uh, got a good enough response that they're like, okay, we got something here. Let's work with this. Yeah, maybe not give away the ending. That would be helpful. But um, I don't know. Were you aware that there was a, I did, I had no idea that there was an actual earlier Royal Rumble match on a house show. No, I had no idea they did a dry run. That's kind of interesting, huh? Yeah. It's smart, though. I mean, you know, I'm sure it was just they kept bugging Vince about it. And finally, he said, fine, we'll do it at a house show and see how it goes. You know, fuck it, do it in St. Louis. Fuck him. Let's put it. I'm not. Hey, listen, I won't be in St. Louis. Do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah, that's right. Um, Speaking of Vince, though, we talked about it last chapter, how he positioned Survivor Series as a massive fuck you to the NWA's Starcade by boxing out pay-per-view buys for Starcade by essentially, I'll go so far as to say extorting <laughs> other cable companies into saying, if you carry Starcade, you won't get any more WWF pay-per-views and that hey, sort of thing. He does it. you got that kind of power. That he does it again here in a different kind of way because NWA had Bunkhouse Stampede coming up, which was its own kind of Rumble-esque sort of match inside of a steel cage and they did it, I think, in New York City, which is like the fucking hotbed, the cradle of civilization for WWF. So Vince says, I'm not going to go after you guys on pay-per-view. I'm going to put this rumble on for free TV for everybody and just give you the middle finger all over again. Predictably, Bunkhouse Stampede did p- very poorly, uh, partly because the cr- card sucked, partly because you had the Royal Rumble on free TV to anybody who wanted to watch it, and they had no hope of matching a Hulk Andre contract signing for the biggest rematch, arguably in pro wrestling history. Um, again, Vince McMahon just showing how vindictive he could be and how he wanted to go after the juggler on the NWA during this time when the territory still kind of existed. And Vince was saying, I'm putting the kibosh to all this bullshit. Uh, what do you think of that? I, I mean, I know we're not surprised. We're not surprised at all, but I, it's smart for him to say, you know what? I already fucked you over on pay-per-view. Let me really do you over here by giving this away for free. Uh, see, at the time, we're not that far removed from Vince just collecting all the territories, basically. You know, I mean, you, I, I say that I use that term loosely. He basically collected all their TV rights and they just didn't, couldn't become, you know, compete with him. And, and he produced a better product, you know, uh, than anybody else. The production value through the roof. So I. <laughs> It's why he's a billionaire and there's no other thing like WWE. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, Vince was a evil genius back then, still an evil genius. Even to this day, 
You look at some of the stuff he does, and yeah, you can complain that he's out of touch and this and that and the other, but this is the wheelhouse of his genius and his creativity right here during this time frame. Smart enough to let Pat McAfee do his own thing. That's right. Exactly. That very smart man. Very smart man. Um, the match itself, I under I understand that very complex. Nobody had done a match like this before. Lots of detail. Like talk like last chapter, Savage and Steamboat and the and the preparation, the planning that went into that match. I wouldn't say this was on that level, but it was pretty damn detailed. And it caused a lot of concern and consternation with the guys who were involved in the match because they'd never been involved in something like this. Wait, two minute intervals. We got to work on elimination spots. We got to work on trying to make. And this one doesn't have a whole lot of story angle continuity to it. Um, like, you know, we'll see later on down the line. But uh, I, I imagine, you know, thinking back to 1988, that the guys involved in this match have been like, what, what the fuck are you talking about? And, and we're going to do what? It had to be. It had to be kind of confusing. And, and yeah, I could see there being some genuine concern about how are we going to pull all this shit off? I don't know. I I think maybe you had a few people like that, but I don't think, you know, there's only 20 people in here. So maybe there were some people who said, I'm not going to be in that match or I don't think it's a good match. There's got to be a good handful, half dozen at the minimum that were in this match that were excited to do it. Oh, you sure. know, something different. You think about the number of times these guys wrestled in a year back then, as opposed to the number of times they wrestle now. Like this is kind of a interesting new concept where I don't have to fucking get my back broken and I can still go out and entertain here, you know, and that's something really kind of brand new to that era for the most part. Yeah, and you raised a great point. It's a perfect segue because you said that, you know, a lot of guys maybe you're like, I can do it. A lot of guys like, I don't even want to be involved with it. It's interesting when you look at the 20 guys who are involved and look at the names who were missing. And there are quite a few big names who are missing from this event. Notably, Honky Tonk Man, who was the Intercontinental Champion at the time. Macho Man Randy Savage. We are going to talk about him on the back half of this with his rise to glory at WrestleMania 4. Brutus Beefcake missing Greg Valentine, just to name a few. The reason is it wasn't because they didn't want to perform in the match, but WWF was running a house show at the same time in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Uh, and, and as unthinkable as it is to us right now that there would be a house show going on at the same time as a pay-per-view. got to remember, this is not a pay-per-view. It's a televised event. Vince wasn't completely on board. They're running a house show with some pretty big heavy hitters in Halifax. Uh, you know, you add, think about it. You add honky tonk to this match. You add macho man to this match, add a guy like Greg Valentine, maybe Brutus beefcake. Suddenly, you know, this becomes a, and it's not that it's a bad match and we're about to talk about it. Uh, but it, because it takes on a different level, different luster entirely. You add in some of these guys who are competing in this house show in, in Nova Scotia, right? Yeah, I guess at the same time, it brings us back to the point of how much was this believed in by Vince at the time, right? So, you know, if it doesn't go well, then we can always say, well, we made money over there and, and we kind of held some guys out. And, you know, it, it's it's just kind of the way business was back then. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So th- there you go, folks. That's kind of the backstory to the first ever Royal Rumble, where the origin, the idea came from, the interesting, like we're talking, Vince not being completely on board, uh, but certainly being on board with uh, giving it, you know, giving the NWA the middle finger again, um, you know, why there weren't certain people involved in that. But let, let's go ahead and get into it. Let's talk about some of the matches. Um because, yeah, like Tony was saying, January 24th, 1988, Cops Coliseum, Hamilton, Vince, Jesse on commentary. The event actually begins 
And, uh, you know, I, when I first, when I watched this and I saw this first match, I'm like, oh, damn, that there's a match for you. Ravishing Rick Rude taking on Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Uh, man, I, I don't know how many times these guys met up, but after watching this match, I like, okay, I could watch this a few more times. Uh, it's a really good match, especially down the stretch. Lots of uh, two counts. It's not Savage Steamboat, but it, it's, you know, kind of borrowing from that match in certain places. Uh, Steamboat's going to go for the flying body press, but Rick Rude is going to pull the ref in front of him, and Rude gets disqualified. Steamboat wins by disqualification. So a really, really good match up to that point. Uh, just kind of a shitty ending, uh, you know, that sort of thing. But uh, I, you know, Rude, Rude Steamboat is something that I just don't think we probably got enough of. That That's a feud that seems like that could have gone somewhere. I was pleasantly surprised I had forgot that this match opened um this card I so I enjoyed it there's one thing that ruined the match for me do you want to guess what it was uh if I could remember that well I I know you just watched it more recently than I did what ruined it for you I'm gonna refrain from swearing but I would really like to call this lady a number of things the one with the bullhorn in the front row that wouldn't (laughs) shut the fuck up what uh, uh like I said, I'm not gonna call her any swear words. I'm just gonna say that was like folks, if you haven't watched this pay-per-view in a long time or never have watched anything but it, just go back and start it and watch this match and tell me how annoyed you are by the lady in the front row with the bullhorn and how the hell they let her keep the bullhorn as long as they did. Yeah, now I now I tend to remember what you're talking about. Uh that did kind of take away from an otherwise excellent match, but yeah. <laughs> it's like wait why don't you take that shit away why don't you just give her like a hockey horn or something in the front row and let her go off on that i don't know it was gone by the next match yeah that that well that helps um the, the next thing we get isn't a match but it's it's one of it's a moment that's going to be brought up and talked about for years to come by gorilla and jesse especially at wrestlemania where they talk about this this bullshit because this is how you get the claim dino bravo being the world's strongest man because they do this bench press uh competition and dino's gonna get uh, let's just say it, a a mammoth assist from jesse the body ventura uh on the bench press record that allegedly he benches 715 pounds we know that he didn't we know that jesse helped quite a bit uh, but this kind of becomes a meme unto itself over the next few events with Gorilla getting on Jesse about, you know, uh, and Jesse's like, I know exactly how much finger pressure I use two fingers, Gorilla. I know exactly how much finger pressure that was. And he broke the record legitimately. Fun stuff. A, f- a funny moment. It's one of those early or late 80s WWF things that kind of it's iconic in its own right. But it all happens here. It was a way for them to put another kind of new gimmick on top of Dino Bravo or solidify, you know, him as that. We don't even know if those, those, uh, some of the weights on the inside of the, of the, of the, uh, bar looked, uh, like they might not have been weights. So yeah, we don't know if they were yeah, real. It's, res- it's wrestling. I'm going to go out on a limb and say the bar was gimmicked, but you never know. It was, it was fun to watch. I mean, it was, it was an entertaining sure. segment and it, go ahead, Tony. No, because if you look at it, you could take like 90, you could take about like 180 of those pounds off of there. And it looked like they weren't weights. It looked like they were just kind of faked out. They weren't the same texture as the rest of them. And now, I mean, Dino Bravo, I bet you can bench 500 pounds. So, you know, there you go. 
And while he's doing the other ones real quick, it's it's 200 less pounds than you think it is. So the guy could definitely bench press. Look at him. But 715. So if we're looking at this in reality, yeah, I would I would go thumbs down. Um, but a, but a great gimmick. I like the uh, I like the way they told the story. Yeah, it, it be, Dino Bravo is a big dude. Not big enough to stop all oh, the yeah. gunfire that took him out of the no. world. But Russian uh, cigarette mafia. Yeah, exactly. But uh, he's a big guy, and and Dino's going to be in the forefront of things for quite some time. So this was this was a a a gimmick that you look back on it and you're like, what the hell is a big deal? But then you kind of look at how Dino grabbed that momentum from this, and that carried him for quite a while, and he stayed relevant. You know, you're going to see him in the tournament at WrestleMania four. He stays relevant and 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 very, I wouldn't say upper card, but at least mid card, mid to upper mid card uh, for many years to come. So it's a big deal on him. Uh, from there, we get an interesting match. It's a two out of three falls match. The Glamour Girls with Jimmy Hart taking on the Jumping Bomb Angels for the Women's Tag Team Championships in a two out of three falls match. You'll remember at Survivor Series that I was very high on the Jumping Bomb Angels, kind of wondering why more didn't happen with them. Well, here you go. Here's the more that happens to them. So uh, in the first fall, the Angels dominate most of the first fall. However, Judy Martin is going to hit the uh, red Jumping Bomb Angel, whichever one that is, with a reverse power bomb, and the Glamour Girls win, shockingly, the first fall. So... You know, we know we've seen enough two out of three falls matches, and we're going to see another one actually later on in this card that we're going to talk about. But uh, yeah, the Glamour Girls get the first fall. Tony, any great comments about that first fall? No, it's just another match that was set up for TV, though, because they didn't continue the match right away after the falls. They like cut out. Like, I don't watch any of the commercials on Peacock, but um, it, yeah, they, they went to commercial after each fall. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it wasn't a bad match. It wasn't a bad match. Um, uh, let, let's let's talk the second fall. Like you're saying, they they, they it's, it's broken up pretty well. The second fall, you got the Red Angel executing a pretty sloppy reversal of what looks like a, a Judy Martin attempt at a razor's edge type of maneuver. And uh, the Jumping Bomb Angels capture the second fall to even things up. Yeah, it just, not, you know, when I watched this, I was like, that's really sloppy. That's not good. You guys can do better than that. Um, but anyway, you're tied up at one fall apiece. Let's get to the third fall. Then we can kind of retro <laughs> retrofit this stuff. Um, third fall, there's some more issue issues here. And if you're wondering what happened to the jumping bomb angels, why this gimmick didn't go farther. This is a good example of kind of some of the stuff that you see. They were great in a survivor series match, but here there's issues. Um, I don't know, man. Leilani Kai is going to break up a pin. The ref is arguing with Leilani Kai. The Angels are going to hit Judy Martin with a, a double missile drop kick. And Martin is pinned, even though her short, even though her shoulder is clearly off the mat. Jesse sees it all happening. Vince inexplicably does not, foreshadowing. And it's interesting because this is kind of the inverse of what we're going to see with Hulk and Andre in just the 12 days in February 5th, 1988. Uh, the jumping bomb angels capture the tag titles. Now with Hulk and Andre, it was intentional. They wanted to make sure that you saw that Hulk's shoulder was off the mat. And, you know, we're going to talk about that eventually, but here I'm not sure how intentional this was, but Jesse's irate about this. Vince inexplicably, I didn't see anything wrong with that. And, and it's just such bullshit. Um, if it wasn't intentional, then it just adds to the problems with this match. 
the jumping mom angels capture the tag titles, much to Jimmy Hart's uh, dismay. But yeah, I don't know, man. <laughs> I try. I've watched it back a couple times. Like, I'm not sure whether that was intentional, that whether they actually planned that, or whether that's just shitty, sloppy refereeing. But anyway, your thoughts on this? Maybe the old girl didn't want to give it up so easy, and she could always go back and say, uh, you know, you didn't pin me. Maybe it was on her. Might have been. Might have been. But it, it wasn't. It wasn't the type of match that you're looking at with a team that's as talented as the jumping bomb angels and say, yeah, that's, that's how you want to go over to really take the next step in your career. It's just kind of like you're saying controversy involved, you know, was she really pinned and, and, and whether that's, you know, work or shoot, who knows, but it it didn't, it didn't add anything to the match and it just kind of created more issues and it it didn't help a, a championship that was, um, not very well received to begin with at this point in time. And we're not going to, we're going to see it go away for many years until it gets brought back. Yeah. You know what? Two or three years, four years ago, whatever it was, but yeah. yeah, the jumping bomb angels win the match. It's not a great match. It's nothing that's going to live in the annals of, wow, that was a fucking classic. It's just there. So yeah. Any final it, thoughts? Not really. <laughs> I hear you, man. There's not there's not much to redeem about it. It's just it's just it's just too sloppy in too many places, too many miscues, uh, not the cleanest sort of match you want for an event of this magnitude, you know, to be quite honest with you. But the next segment is is the one that really was was positioned as this is why we're all really here. It's not the rumble match. It's why we're all really here. And it's Hulk and Andre signing the contract for the big WrestleMania rematch on February 5th, 1988. It's a really long segment. I mean, they really play this thing out a little bit too long. It's going to end with Andre slamming Hulk's head into a oak table and then dumping the table on top of him. And Andre goes storming off and, and Hulk's just laid out. And, and I mean, it's awesome. I mean, it's a long segment, but it's awesome because, you know, you're playing into what's going, what's happened at, uh, almost a year earlier at WrestleMania three. We saw Andre get the better of Hulk, sort of, at Survivor Series 87. Now we're finally going to get this big rematch wedged into all this stuff that's going on is the introduction of the Million Dollar Man into this whole situation. And that's going to become a bigger issue after in this whole situation. But but at the same time, and I'm not sure the timing of this. I'm not sure if Ted's already made the offer to Andre. I think he has by this point in time where he's offered Andre to pay him to deliver him the WWF championship. And this is going to be a huge deal at this match on February 5th, 1988. So it's, it's, it's a huge, a a massive moment in this whole chronology of events that's going on. DiBiase coming in here, Virgil coming in here, offering Andre money, Bobby Heenan basically selling Andre's contract to the million dollar man. Um, And, and the DiBiase asking Andre, you know, hey, will you deliver me the WWF championship? And Andre saying, uh, you know, I will deliver you that uh, that title and I will enjoy it, Hogan, you know, in Andre's way of saying it. But, um, yeah, this is the big moment uh, of, of the Royal Rumble event was the signing for this rematch. Your thoughts on on where we are at this point in time with Hulk and Andre DiBiase getting involved, adding a new element to this whole thing and, and then moving on the path and just kind of this raising this fever pitch for this match. And this is a really good set. I mean, Hulk's put Andre over as well as he could here to create the idea that, Hey, Andre's really got a shot at this whole thing. 
Forget what happened. And I mean, and, and I, it also should be noted that Andre, of course, claiming to still be undefeated, that he pinned Hulk, that the match should have been over when Hulk tried to slam him and Andre fell on top of him. So he's still undefeated. The rest of the match, yeah, just forget about that. But your thoughts on where we are with the Hulk-Andre saga as we head into uh, this big event coming up in, in just 12 days from this match or this signing? Yeah. You know, you bring in the Million Dollar Man thing. It's really just a setup for WrestleMania here. And it's a great way to use Andre to get the belt off of Hogan without, you know, given, you know, it really doesn't, you know, the raw, he doesn't really come out looking bad. You know what I'm saying? So I, I would say that's kind of where I'm at on it. Obviously this is the biggest thing going on in wrestling right now. Right. And I think this is really Andre's last very important storyline. I would believe, I believe. I mean, I'd say last really important. Yeah. I mean, Andre, and and it's kind of cool because you know Andre's going to win the title and we're, we'll talk about that. And then Andre actually wins a tag title with Haku, the Colossal Connection, a few years later. Um, this is the last really major his stuff with Hogan. I mean, yeah, he's involved with Jake and he's got some stuff with the Warrior coming up and 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 things like that. But yeah, I agree with you that this is the last truly big thing. And I mean, and, and like you said, this is the biggest thing going in wrestling because this is the catalyst for WrestleMania Four. You know, you look at. What are we going to do? And and the events that come out of that event on February 5th is really what shapes the landscape for WrestleMania 4 and why we have a tournament in the first place. And we will talk right. about that very shortly here. But let's get to the Royal Rumble match. You know, I mean, it's it's and it's interesting because it's like you look at I mean, and, and look, this isn't the first time or last time that a Royal Rumble event has had other stuff going on that's arguably bigger than the Royal Rumble match. But here. It's kind of an afterthought-ish sort of thing along the way. But in this Royal Rumble match, 20 guys, not the usual 30, um, are in this match. So let's let's talk about entries and orders of elimination and stuff like that. Um, you know, it's interesting to me. Tito Santana had the first match ever at WrestleMania 1. He was involved in the first match. He's also one of the first two guys in the Royal first ever Royal Rumble match. As you've got Bret Hart is number one. Tito Santana is number two. And we go for a while before we get any eliminations. You get the natural Butch Reed comes in at three. Jim the Anvil Nightheart, Brett's uh, running mate at, with the Heart Foundation, comes in at four. Jake the Snake Roberts comes in at five. Jake's, you know, very popular. He immediately Im- eliminates the natural Butch Reed from this match. So there, more trivia for you kids at home. First elimination <laughs> in Royal Rumble history, Jake the Snake Roberts eliminating the natural Butch Reed. Jake never won a title, but he's got that. AJ Belas, I hope you're listening to this episode because that is a trivia question that hardly anybody except PC Tunney and I will know the answer to. I, I, I didn't know that until I watched the match. If you'd asked me before I watched this, what's the first elimination <laughs> in Royal Rumble history? I'd be like, fuck if I know, man. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have known. Now we do. Jake the Snake Roberts with the first ever elimination. Butch Reed, the first person to ever get eliminated in the Royal Rumble. There's some history for you. Harley Race comes in at number six. Jumping Jim Brunzel comes in at number seven. Sam Houston comes in at number eight. And at this point in time, the Hart Foundation decide to combine to eliminate Tito Santana from this match. You know, of course, there is history with the Hearts and Santana from the whole Hart Foundation strike force situation. Mm-hmm. And, and at this point in time, it's important to note Santana is still co-holder of the WWF Tag Team Championship. So we saw the Hearts get one over on Strike Force and Survivor Series. Now they get they eliminate Santana here at this point in the uh, Royal Rumble event. 
Um, Danny Davis comes in at number nine. At the halfway point is the one and only Boris Zukov. Wow. I mean, yes, exactly. Uh, anyhow, Don Morocco comes in at number 11, and he's I think he's a, a face by this point in time, the rock Don Morocco. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of interesting, though, because the broadcast doesn't get it real clear, and it kind of gets confusing as to whether it, it's supposed to be Don Morocco or whether it should be Nikolai Volkov in this spot. And it's kind of like, you know, okay, we talk about production values and things like that. There is a bit of a gap here as to, okay, well, who was actually supposed to be in this whole thing? It, it doesn't really matter because jumping or Jake and jumping Jim Brunzel are going to eliminate Boris Zukov from this match. And then Nikolai Volkov, then he comes in at number 12. So nobody knows what the hell's going on, which one was supposed to be there. It, it doesn't matter. I will say this. Now, I want to stop here, though, before we get into this stuff. Early in this match, um, you can tell, and this is why this first Royal Rumble it goes over so well. The commentary, the work by Jesse Ventura and Vince McMahon as this match progresses is absolutely phenomenal. And you could tell that Jesse didn't know what the hell to expect from this match. But it becomes evident very early on that he's all in on this thing. And he recognizes, wow, we're on to something here very early in this match, well before we get to this point. And it just dawned on me we hadn't mentioned it. Probably around four or five, Jesse starts to really, you hear it in his voice, the inflection in his voice. I don't think this is anything that's scripted. That's for sure, because Vince had no idea what the hell to expect. But Jesse really sells this. Vince starts to come along as well in this whole thing, because you start seeing some interesting alliances take place, people teaming up that you wouldn't expect to team up, people going after each other that you wouldn't normally expect to go after. The concept of who's coming next, Jesse sells that really well. So you got to give it up to Jesse Ventura and Vince as well for really putting this event over and, and, and getting... The television audience, probably more so than the live, the live crowd was into it from the word go, but getting the television audience who they had no feedback from, but getting them invested because they sold me on it really early on, Tony. You know, if you're smart and you listen, the fans will tell you exactly what to do. (laughs) And it was fairly evident here. You know, I was thinking about what's to come with the Royal Rumble too, and the cool ass posters that we're going to start getting once we get into the nineties here with the, with like the street fight posters. Remember yeah, those? Yep. Oh uh, yeah. So it's just, it's just awesome to see this, you know, infinitesimal, uh, Royal rumble and the way it knowing already how it's going to grow, you know? Exactly. I mean, this is, this is a very embryonic stage for the Royal rumble and in, in every word and, and you get to see, you get to kind of see it grow up right in front of your eyes with this very first event. And Jesse and Vince do a lot to do that. The crowd in, in, in Hamilton carries this a lot, but you get to see right off the bat. Okay. This first event, I can see the allure. I can see where we're going with this thing. You get to see just how they were onto something and how I, I imagine probably around 10, 11, 12 Vince is probably like, fuck, we're going to make a lot of money with this bitch. And this is definitely going to be a pay-per-view, and, and we will talk about that. But anyway, I, I just wanted to stop there because I, I, I did remember watching this event, event back that it was really Jesse who kind of sold me on the concept of what was going on. When you hear his voice, the excitement in his voice, and just how much he was into it, and it not being staged or scripted, that this was genuine, on-the-fly reactions to an event 
uh, of, you know, by modern standards, the biggest event in pro wrestling next to arguably WrestleMania, um, that, and you can kind of see it growing in front of you right here. And, and it was, it was fucking awesome, man. Absolutely awesome. Um, after Volkov comes in, Morocco is going to eliminate Harley race. Then we get at number 13, hacksaw Jim Duggan. Oh, Oh, exactly. Number 14's outlaw Ron Bass. Uh, at this point, Nikolai Volkov is going to power Jim Brunzel out of the match. Number 15's B. Brian Blair, who just barely missed saving his partner. He gets in there a little bit late. Hillbilly Jim comes in at number 16, Tony, and he's yep. going to eliminate yep. Jim the Anvil Neidhart and get rid of him. Dino Bravo, who, I mean, I would have thought he'd be too exhausted from all that fucking lifting earlier in the event, but I guess not. He comes in at number 17. Um... <laughs> Sam Houston is going to take a, a, a interesting tact here as he gets on outlaw Ron Bass's shoulders. Bass dumps him over the top rope. Anyway, not the greatest of maneuvers from Sam Houston. Number 18 of is a very interesting entry because it's the ultimate warrior. Now the warrior is involved in two Royal rumbles. And the, obviously the second one that he's involved in is the much more iconic one. We'll talk about that in a few chapters from now, but the warrior kind of comes in here. This is not, the ultimate warrior that we will, I mean, size wise. Yes. Skill wise, probably very comparable to what we'll get later on, but this is not, and let's not kid ourselves. This is not the warrior we will see uh, in a few years. This is not the warrior we're going to see in a few months at WrestleMania four, really, but he shows up uh, at this point, right after warrior gets in magnificent Morocco eliminates Brett, the Hitman Hart after 25 minutes and 42 seconds. So Brett is kind of the first Iron Man of any of these Royal Rumble matches. Uh, you surprised at all that Bret Hart was in there that long, Tony? I, I, I wasn't. I mean, if you look at it, um, where are we at here? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, We're eight. 18. We've had eight. We've had eight eliminations in twenty-five minutes, right? Yep. We're gonna have the rest of the eliminations in the next eight minutes. So business is about to pick up. Yes, exactly. But I mean, as far as like a guy to kind of anchor this thing and, and this oh, is for like, sure. this yeah. is and this is before Brett is really going to take that big step forward as far as like a singles competitor, you know, that sort right. of thing. But all that notwithstanding, Vince obviously knew what he had. He had a thoroughbred in Brett and he knew it right away. And he's like and Pat Patterson as well realized, hey, we can use Brett to kind of be a ring general of sorts and keep everybody in the right place. You're going to see that many years later when Brett and Shawn Michaels have that Iron Man match, which every bit as complicated as this match could ever hope to be. Uh, and those two guys were able to keep everything together. And Shawn, of course, is a major performer at the Royal Rumble. But Bret Hart sets the early Iron Man mark for the Royal Rumble at 25 minutes, 42 seconds. Um, one man gang comes in at number 19. Of course, we talked about gang earlier who won the dry run Royal Rumble in St. Louis. He comes in and he immediately eliminates B. Brian Blair and Jake the Snake Roberts. Get the fuck out of here. At number at number 20 is the Junkyard Dog. So at this point, everybody's in the match. All the guys who are going to be in there is in the match. You got Gang and Dog, who, of course, were the last two guys in the dry run in St. Louis. So let's let's get into this stuff. And stop me at any point in here, Tony, if there's something that you want to talk about. Or let's, just, let's just run through this thing. So Hacksaw Jim Duggan is going to dump Nikolai Volkov out of the match. One man gang eliminates Hillbilly Jim. Duggan then eliminates who's this? Danny Davis. Danny Davis hung nope. in there for a while Danny by hitting Davis. him with the three point stance over the top rope. 
I love this elimination because Danny Davis is just a jackass. And and he was in there for a lot, but he was in there for a lot longer than I thought he was going to be. But Duggan hitting that three-point stance was epic. Gang and Dino Bravo then unceremoniously dump Ultimate Warrior over the top rope. Warrior does really nothing in this match. Uh, no impact at all. And he's just gone because Gang and... and I mean, and, and when you think about the legacies of the guys involved... Um, I'm pretty sure only one of these three is a Hall of Famer, right? <laughs> right. I don't think Gang or Bravo's in the Hall of Fame. It's the Warrior, no. it, it, yeah. so it's like, wow, that's just as as uh, as anticlimactic as you can possibly get. Uh, Outlaw Ron Bass is then going to eliminate the Junkyard Dog at this point. The Rock Don Morocco then eliminates Outlaw Ron Bass. Bravo is going to hold Don Morocco, and the Gang is going to clothesline the Rock over the top rope. And so we're down, you know, and you see this in all the WWE games that would you ever do a Royal Rumble? You get down to three, the three guys are kind of squaring off. It's not quite how it goes down here because you've got the one man gang, Dino Bravo and Hacksaw Jim Duggan. So it's not looking very good for Hacksaw in the opening moments of this whole thing because you got gang and Bravo who have been teaming up on people since they kind of got in there together. And Mm -hmm. obviously, if you've been listening along, doing a lot of damage. Um, they try to repeat this whole kind of scenario that they just did where Bravo holds held Morocco gang clotheslines him out. So they try to repeat that with Hacksaw. Hacksaw, though, is going to duck out of the way. Gang clotheslines Bravo over the top rope and out of the match. So now we're down to Hacksaw Jim Duggan, one man gang, last two guys in this whole thing. Uh, and, and the way that Hacksaw Jim Duggan wins this thing is quite smart as Duggan is going to pull the top rope down as the gang rushes at him. Duggan ducks out of the way. The gang goes flying over the top rope. Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Now, this isn't so much of a trivia. Most people know this. But Hacksaw Jim Duggan wins the first ever Royal Rumble match. And uh, a surprise. I I love Jesse's reaction. This guy won. You know, that sort of thing. And and just, just the disgust in Jesse's voice as far as, wow, this really sucks. But there you go, folks. It was... um. Hacksaw Jim Duggan, your first ever winner of the Royal Rumble match. I thought it was a pretty good match. I mean, it, it by modern standards and what we're used to, sure, it didn't have all the bells and whistles. No awesome saves. Uh, the surprises were not there because it's just the roster. But I still think that as far as historical significance and what they established in this match and how it led to greater and better things, uh, this is a pretty damn good match. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Like you said, it's it's all about perspective and thinking about where they're at with the concept and who they had to do it. But you could tell that they were getting to know that this is going to be something. And, and, you know, obviously we know it is. Yeah, so we do know where, where things end up. And uh, everything's got to start somewhere. And we talked about it with Survivor Series and how that has evolved over the years. And the Rumble has evolved to a certain extent and it's become synonymous with surprises, returns, um, things like that. But this was as far as, as giving Vince a template to look at and say, Oh yeah, we can make money with this bitch. Um, this first Royal rumble match accomplished that. And then some, um, Hogan tells on after this happened, you get this promo. Hogan tells Andre to beat him on February 5th, 1988, Tony, he's going to need to beat him and every single Hulkamaniac and Andre can't do it. Well, maybe he can. <laughs> so we'll talk about that. But here's the funny thing about, about this Royal Rumble. The Royal Rumble match was not the main event. Not, it, it, the, what the main event of this event, guys, folks, 
is a two out of three falls match between the Islanders and the Young Stallions. Now, remember, this is kind of like the Royal Rumble is kind of like it's kind of like giving me the middle finger because when we talked about Survivor Series 87, I was real high on the Jumping Bomb Angels. What happened to them? I was real high on the Young Stallions after their performance at Survivor (laughs) Series 87 and wondering why they didn't get a bigger push. Well, let's talk about this. Uh, Two out of three falls match. First of all, Tama is going to throw Paul Roma over the top rope and Haku is going to hold the top rope down. Roma takes a very bad fall to the floor. And he gets counted out as the Islanders take the first fall. Uh, inexplicably, between the first, between this first fall and the second fall, we get a live interview with Ted DiBiase and Andre the Giant, <laughs> who predict that the end of Hulkamania will take place on February fifth, nineteen eighty-eight. Uh, meanwhile, Roma is able to limp back to ringside just in time for the second fall. So I've never seen a match quite like this where we're in the middle of a best two out of three falls match, but hold on just showing how inconsequential everything, but Hulk and Andre really was to this event. Hold on. Let's cut away. And like we said earlier, DiBiase, Andre, the whole thing was in there. So you get the two sides of the coin here. Hulk saying, you're going to have to beat me and all my Hulkamaniacs and DiBiase and Andre basically looking like the cat that swallowed the canary. Cause they already knew the fix was in. And uh, there you go. So anyway, we get back to the second fall. Jimmy Powers, I got to give him credit. He gives it a gallant effort, very much so. But he makes the stupid decision to tag in a clearly injured and damaged beyond repair Paul Roma. Uh, So Roma fights, but he gets his bad legs swept. Haku's then going to hold Roma as Tama is going to take a flying splash onto Roma's bad knee. Roma then is going to submit to a single leg Boston Crab. The Islanders get an emphatic, as emphatic a sweep as you can possibly get on the Young Stallions, which is, of course, curious after Survivor Series. And that, my friends, is how the first ever Royal Rumble ends. Royal Rumble 88. Um, <laughs> I Yeah, I, I I got nothing, man. I got I got the nothing. worst. That was the worst match of the night. It was either that or the, or the women's tag match that and, and ironically, both both two out of three falls matches. But it, let, yeah. let's let, OK, let's take it a step further, though. You rarely see sweeps. They don't happen all that often. Uh, here's one. And, and, and a pretty emphatic sweep at that. Were they out of time? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you look at it. Or, or was Roma actually really injured at some point in time? Because you almost took almost 15 minutes. Yeah, you almost think that Roma had a, had a, 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 a shoot injury or something like that. Because... It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You look at what they did at Survivor Series and that maybe he got hurt coming into the match or I haven't looked it up or done the research, but uh, you don't see sweeps in two out of three falls matches very often. Here you get one and you see like when the deciding fall, the second fall is decided by submission in 1988. Boy, they just they just didn't do that all that often. So don't know what was going on there, but the Islanders get a big win at this point in their careers and the young stallions take a major step backwards um score time tony i'm going to turn it over to you first scale of one to ten first ever royal rumble royal rumble 1988 what do you give it five and a half really i got it higher than that i got it at a seven and a half out of ten and i'll tell you why largely based on the historical significance of the first royal rumble and and that's and that's and 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 i i think the other thing that puts it over the genuine reactions of vince and jesse to the matches it unfolded 
Um, and of course, the progression of the Hulk and Andre storyline, which of course, like you said, the biggest thing going in wrestling at this point in time. Yeah, I'm being a little bit generous with my score, but I got a soft spot for this first Royal Rumble because of everything going on, because it wasn't the typical stuff that you see. But I think like similar to like WrestleMania one, which I probably scored higher than it deserved. Um, you know, I think that it, the historical significance of this is is the key point in this. So I got it scored a little bit higher than that. Um, but hey, it's, it's a fun event, you know, for the first one ever. Right. I, I mean, I'm just kind of, I, I got to lay that there. Otherwise, it's going to be, it, it could come off as a higher number as some other uh, Royal Rumbles that are much better that oh, won't get a high either. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, taking everything into consideration, you look at those two, two out of three falls matches. Yeah. They're really rough that probably, you know, you're probably convincing me I should have dropped it down to like a six and a half, perhaps. But I, I did like the historical significance. I love the Hulk Andre stuff. I love Jesse and Vince in this whole thing. So I give it a little bit of leeway um, before we take a commercial break. Let, let's let's and then we're going to get into WrestleMania four. Let's talk about let's talk about what happens on February 5th, 1988. The Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant match that is going to set the stage <laughs> For WrestleMania four um, controversial to say the least, because in this match, Hulk Hulk really dominates most of the match. Andre slowed down considerably. This was nowhere near as good as what they did at WrestleMania three. That's for damn sure. Uh, and, and this match, you know, at the end of this whole thing, Andre, you know, Hulk's got Andre beat, but of course, Virgil is going to cause a distraction and, and this is going to enable Andre to grab Hulk by the, by whatever hair is remaining on his head headbutt him into his bald head a couple times, throw him down, and then Andre kind of just does that move where he lays on top of you. The referee counts one. Okay. Hulk's shoulder comes up between one and two. Referee counts two. Hulk's shoulder clearly off the mat. Referee counts three. We have a new WWF champion. Vince is like, you know, shocked. Jesse's like, I don't want you to ever tell me anything again, Vince, about me, because I'm always right about this sort of stuff. Um... And and then they present the belt to Andre. Dogs are not happy about this. I, I don't blame no. him. I don't blame him. They present the belt to Andre. Andre acknowledges the title, then immediately gives it to Ted DiBiase. The belt is placed on the million dollar man's waist. He is then introduced as the WWF champion. And um hold on. He's introduced as the WWF champion. Uh then we get the surreal moment where we discover that Dave and Earl Hebner actually exist in this world. Cause up until then we knew one of them existed. We didn't know about the other one, the evil twin who'd been bought off by the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase Hulk, uh, you know, just basically grabs both of them and, and just goes off on them. And I think he actually like uh, destroys one of them. Which one, which one was the fake ref? Was it? I don't remember. It doesn't really matter. One of them was fake. One of them wasn't because you get the and, and it's a weird moment, man. When they two, Dave, I think I think Dave, I think you're right, Dave is when they are in the ring together and they're kind of like mirroring each other a little bit. That's fucking classic, classic stuff. Um, and anyway, you quickly realize the fix was in. Well, your cousin, the Poon Slayer, President Jack Tunney, decides that this shit is ridiculous. Basically, he says, and it kind of makes sense, but it's all story-driven, of course. It kind of makes sense. But he says, Andre did not have, well, they recognized the title change. The referee's decision was final. They recognized the title change. 
They say Andre did not have the right to hand the title to Ted DiBiase. The only fucking thing we can do that makes sense is strip DiBiase of the title. And the only way we can resolve this, Tony, is a 14-man single elimination tournament at WrestleMania 4. And oh, we're going to make sure Hulk and Andre settle this shit by giving them a bye to the second round where they will meet each other. And there you go. The stage is then set for WrestleMania 4. Um <laughs> As far I here's here's one thing we didn't mention. So the Royal Rumble, you mentioned it, did a TV rating of eight point two, which means that roughly eight point two percent of the households in the United in the in the United States, I guess, tuned in for that Royal Rumble. As impressive as that is, twelve nights later, this Hulk versus Andre rematch, Tony, an astounding fifteen point two. I don't oh, even huge. I don't even know if the Attitude Era in its heyday drew numbers like. 15 point maybe it did i don't i'd have to go back and look 15.2 is an astounding number for anything uh clearly the match did not live up to what happened at wrestlemania 3 nor do i think that was the intent the intent was controversy 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 sure lost in all this though is the end of hulk hogan's four-year reign as wwf champion been the champion since 84 that's all by the wayside, you know, and, and we'll talk about the backstory of WrestleMania four when we get to that. But still, I, I think this was an important, you know, before we got into that, I think it was important to kind of touch bases on this because it ties into so much to what happened at the Royal Rumble with the contract signing. Um, your thoughts on all this stuff that we've talked about Hulk losing the title after four years in this way, uh, the vacation of the title. Let's have a tournament. You know, we're going to talk the tournament later on when we talk WrestleMania four in the back half of this episode. Uh, but your thoughts on the main event, what went down? Just this. It, it's silly. Yes. But at the same time, it's it's kind of like you look at it and said, it's pretty smart, <laughs> a pretty smart way that they handled this to get the belt off of Hulk, to keep him as safe as possible. He didn't lose anything by this. But now we've created the illusion, at least of opportunity. And I know going into WrestleMania four, I thought, oh, yeah, Hulk's going to win the title back. That's not what's going to happen. So anyway, it's I, a great it's a great way to get to go where they're going at the end of WrestleMania four with, like we said, Hogan, not necessarily having a clean loss. Right. So because that sets up other things down the road that don't necessarily get paid off. But at the same time, you got to think about what Roman Reigns is doing right now. Greg DeMarco will tell you, make a sandwich because we're going to be here for a while. He firmly believes Reigns is going to surpass Hogan's run and be the longest modern uh, reigning uh, or reign in, in WWE history. So I don't necessarily see that happen. We'll see with Roman Reigns, but yeah, it is pretty significant. Hogan loses the belt here. Um, but like we said, Hogan goes on vacation every year once in a while. And what a great way to move the belt over to macho man without making him look bad. Yeah, exactly. And, 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 the and it's a guy they can trust savage. You know what I'm oh, saying? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's like he, like Hogan brought it up. He's like, man, if Piper would have just calmed down a little bit backstage and talked to us and we felt like we could have trusted him, he would have been the, won the title two or three times. Like Hogan literally said that, but you could never tell what Piper was going to do, right? You couldn't, they didn't even know about WrestleMania one. Savage is a guy that they knew was very meticulous, but knew that he'd put the business first and they had a good working relationship. Oh yeah. And, and I mean, when you look at this mega power storyline that is going to take another quantum leap forward at WrestleMania four, that never happens with Piper. You, you never get that with Piper. But with Savage, because you've got Liz into the whole mix, it's tailor-made mm -hmm. and perfect for television. But yeah, you, you, you talk about making a star. And, and you know, without this tournament run that Macho Man's about to go on, 
Uh, we don't look at him the same way, but this is his crowning moment. With all due respect to what happens at WrestleMania 8 with him winning the title the second time, and who gives a shit? This is where Macho Man, I mean, I'm sorry. We do, Of course we give a shit, but it, it pales in comparison to what is about to happen at WrestleMania 4 with this run that he goes on. Um, but yeah, as far as like guys you can trust, guys you can run with, there are a few better at this point in time than the Macho Man Randy Savage. Hogan knew that. Vince knew that. Sure. Everybody knew yep. that. I remember distinctly going into WrestleMania four. I didn't know it because, <laughs> you know, Savage was still kind of like, you're still getting used to the idea of him being a baby face. Um, but he is. And in retrospect, maybe we should have seen it coming, but we're going to table that for now. We are going to take a commercial break. Uh, talk about some cool stuff going on at the chair shot. Tony, I'm going to let you go ahead and do that. And then we're going to come back and talk WrestleMania four with the bat second part of chapter three of the big four project. Tony, tell people where they can check out all the great stuff at the chair Yeah. Head on over to the chair or head on over to pro wrestling forward slash the chair shot. Pick yourself up a chair shot t-shirt, the chair shot radio network, tons of great podcasts. You can find that on all your favorite streaming services. And of course your home for sports entertainment and sports entertainment, the chair always use your head. What he said, folks, we're going to take a commercial break. We will be right back where we will talk second part of chapter three of the Big Four Project, WrestleMania 4. You're listening to the Attitude of Aggression Wrestling Podcast, which is also broadcasting here on the ChairShot Radio Network, a part of the ChairShot. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is your boy Kenny Killer telling you to make sure you check out thechairshot.com, bringing you breaking news, interviews, podcasts galore, everything pro wrestling. Make sure you check it out thechairshot.com. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back a few months later. Here we are pulling back the curtain completely. Mr. Tunney and I have, uh, it's been a while, PC, since we decided to record the second half of this uh, chapter of the Big Four Project. Um, life gets in the way, man. Well, we've both been busy. 
having other podcasts out, you know, I mean, we're both doing multiple podcasts minimum every week. So that we've been busy that way. When you love golf as much as we do, uh, there's always going to be time made for that because no golf and all podcasting and work makes Dave and Tunney um, angry boys. Yeah, and it helps if you're good like Tunney and and don't ah. suck ass like I do. But you know that's just... you're training. You're you're in that very good self sadistic training mode right now. So right. I just, hope you enjoy just, that. Yeah, masochistic pain. You know, to it, all in the quest to break 100. But it, it, to pull the curtain back completely, when last we recorded, when last we left you, we just finished talking about the Royal Rumble, the very first Royal Rumble, Royal Rumble '88, and that was the weekend of WrestleMania backlash and here we are today is the day of SummerSlam 2022 and 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 tony the um the wrestling world has changed a little bit since the last time we recorded things just 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 a touch i mean just a couple of momentous things kind of happened along the way right i i want you to i wish you had the sound of uh, the voiceover guy uh to start this uh go previously on attitude of aggression yeah really really because it, it, it is like nothing is the same that's for sure so in case any of you uh who listen to this show and we're living in iraq or i don't know maybe we're we're dis disabled in a coma for the last three months let me catch you guys up on the most salient points of this thing um vince mcmahon got himself in some trouble because apparently he was <gasps> Being Mr. McMahon, but in real life, having sex with women and then paying them hush money. And the Wall Street Journal got a wind of this thing and the story broke. And the next thing you know, Vince steps down as CEO. And and then like, what was it about a week ago? I think a little, little bit over a week ago, Tony, that the bombshell of all bombshells, something that probably you and I never thought we would see happen as far as like, you know, it actually happening and, and, and it not being the result of Vince dying was that yeah it was 405 last Friday July 22nd yeah he did it on Twitter before Smackdown and I, I thought well that's brilliant it's like it's like breaking up with somebody by text you know he goes and he, he Vince McMahon announces on Twitter that he is retiring at the age of 77 uh, sending shockwaves through the world uh, immediately eliciting this is a work this is this this is that that's not the case it's it's actually for real and um i know like responses were polarized to say the very least and uh, there were a lot of people who were celebrating the retirement of vince mcmahon and and just being markish assholes about it and that's my opinion on a lot of the comments because it is just stupid some of the stuff that was being said a lot of people were respectful of the fact i i was definitely on the respectful side because my thoughts pc are like um vince's personal proclivities notwithstanding it doesn't take away from the fact that the man changed the industry we would not be doing any there would not be a chair shot radio network if it wasn't for vince mcmahon so let's let's be honest about that because he changed took it from a, a very regional sort of industry and made it a global phenomenon and, and the good thing is you know that kind of ties in with this big four project especially where we are right now because this is when the wwf is really putting their stamp on the industry, not just the wrestling industry. We're beyond that. I mean, WrestleMania three basically blew that away. Now it's the pop culture industry that they are really defining and putting and making a name for themselves. And we're going to get to WrestleMania four in just a moment. But um, yeah, I mean the, the people who are just celebrating 
Vince's retirement because, oh, we're going to get better creative. And, I, you know, whatever. Uh, Tony Khan's bullshit tweet was uh, <laughs> was pretty. I mean, I've heard was I, it was that was just that. Yeah, it was bullshit. It was just that. A I'm the longest tweet. tenured, you know, CEO. It's like, you know, I and I, I, you know, honestly, Tony, I was a little bit surprised by that. I thought Tony Khan, being the mark that he was, is, was and is, would actually come out and be classy about it and acknowledge what Vince did for the industry. Fucking AEW doesn't exist without Vince McMahon. So, you know, that's, I, I thought it was some petty bullshit but he could have done a lot better for himself and the company by doing that as well by just coming out and saying you know what pro wrestling wouldn't would be what it is without vince mcmahon we're all trying to just reach his level yeah right and 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 he would have gained more respect from his fans in AEW and workers and he would have gained so much more respect for people that aren't necessarily fans of AEW but are professional wrestling fans because unless like this isn't even opinion Right. This is a fact as far as what how how we perceive professional wrestling and how it's migrated to where it is. Vince McMahon is responsible for it. That's the end of it. And professional wrestling and professional wrestling fans are better off for it. Are we condoning what he did Uh, personally? Probably not. But that's between you and, and, and whoever, whatever you answer to. Am I condoning it professionally? Definitely not. Right. Right. It, it is. It, it's like I said on, on the Attitude of Aggression's Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash Attitude of Aggression, cheap pop right there. But the thing is that, um, you know, I I don't contone what he did with his personal life, but honestly, it's none of our business. What he did in his personal life is his own business. But if you are not going to, if you're going to tell yourself that his contribution to the industry was inconsequential simply because of that, and I, I've, I've seen the comparisons to the Chris Benoit thing. And I'm like, no, 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 you, you can't it <laughs> screwing a couple of chicks and paying them to shut the fuck up is one thing. Killing yourself and your entire family. A little well, bit different. There hasn't even been accusations or any mention of like forcing or threatening of any of this. It was pretty much seemed like it was, you know, uh, uh, consensual. And right. then either Vince got scared or the women got scared or the women got smart enough to figure out they could get more or Vince just wanted them to be quiet. So the problem came when he was using company funds, when it became a public company, right? right. This is probably something that's been going on forever. Right. And right? That, that's where you and, run into problems. If he's using his own money, no one cares and he's a billionaire. So fine. But yeah, if you're and co-mingling weeks later, you're getting a, you're a, 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 a bigger role in the company as well too. Right. Like you're getting promoted. That, that's a big no, no too. Okay. Uh, yeah, my wife's giving me a message right now. But uh, yeah, so Vince retires. Was it I love you? Did she say I love no, you? No, she's I love telling you, me that, that somebody's coming. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't get that from her anymore, Tony. It's just. Did she say? Did you? Did you? Did you cut the grass yet, Dave? Did, no, I don't. Said? I don't cut our cut our grass. I'm servicing the pool. <laughs> Got to service her plumbing later she, on. But uh, say you're gonna you're gonna you better fix the pipes before you go golfing today, gotta Dave. Fix the pipes, yeah. Um, so anyway, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, you know, now we got Triple H in charge of creative. Stephanie and Nick Khan running, running things. Um, people, I, I love listening to people. I, you know, we we listen to all sorts of podcasts, and and uh, I think like the one that I listened to recently that I really liked is I don't know if you ever listen to Wrestling Soup. I think those guys are pretty good, and and they're fun to listen to. And they had they had some really good takes on the whole thing, but you know they were dismissive of people saying, "Oh, this is a work." Vince is still in charge behind the scenes. I, I really 
don't think so. You know, with the board of directors, that's he is the majority shareholder, so he does have a say in things. But if if you don't think that his, I mean, you know, that's that's interesting. I, I think it would have to depend on what role you think um, Nick Khan played in this, because I heard that he was kind of maybe behind the whole thing, not necessarily retirement. The, the guy. He got yeah, but like you well, know, he may, he kind of wanted him out of there maybe. Well, I but think like the guys, I don't know. the guys on Wrestling Soup said something that that I think is very accurate. Um, this was not something that Vince wanted to do. It was basically like you've got no alternative. You can go out on your own terms and do the right thing, or we're going to force you out because the board of directors was going to take action with all this stuff going on. And, and I think that's that's a very proper salient. How point. much? So. Who's in charge of creative now? Supposedly it's Hunter. Hunter is uh, supposedly in charge of it. Um, I mean, if that's the case and it's Hunter and Paul, Paul E, because I, I would, I would think, you know, Pritchard's those gone. two have to have a, those two have to have a good relationship. Don't they? Yeah. I mean, don't you want, don't you want a Paul E influence on what Triple H is doing as well? I do. I think it's, it's more of a, Paul's really good at getting the audience intrigued in storylines better than almost anybody else and hunter is really good at letting the actors take more liberal part in what they're doing than vince did that's my take on it and that's what i want to see from those two i don't know what you want to see from that or who else you would like to see up there in that nest with with triple h yeah i think paulie would be good um i i you know as far as like guys who are creative god you know what i, I ideally I'd love to see them bring Taker in in some sort of creative capacity to, you know, to take the next step. And, and I don't know if he's got any interest in that at all, but I think him and Hunter working together would be really good. I know he's got Sean at NXT. That'll help, you know, and I think having Hunter back and just, you know, Sean not having to wrestle against Hunter's vision. They now there's there's a lot of speculation, a lot of rumors that NXT is going to return sort of kind of to black and goldish. Um, and God knows they need that because they're just floundering with this 2.0 stuff. Uh, so we'll we'll see. But I think, you know, that kind of segues into what I wanted. Oh, go ahead, Tony. No, I was just going to say the NXT thing. I agree. Why can't it be something grittier? A little with, still good production value, but not the outstanding value that you see on Raw and SmackDown. So you're working your way to get to the bright lights of Raw and SmackDown. Right, right. And it'll be interesting to see what he does with NXT at this point. They, they've got talent there, but it's certainly not the talent pool that they had before because there were so many people who were released and, and, and it just it diluted whatever was left of NXT. So we'll, we'll see what they come up with. But, um, you know, it, it leads to the conversation about SummerSlam going on today. This is going to be, um, you know, I think this is Hunter's first pay-per-view where he's in charge. And I, I'm sure there were some plans in place ahead of time that Vince had made that we don't know if, if, if Hunter's going to follow those or if he's going to deviate and, and try and put his own stamp on this pay-per-view. Um, but I imagine it is a pretty big moment for the, for the WWE as far as like people looking to see people are going to look at this pay-per-view. This is huge because if you really think about it, this is the first pay-per-view ever in the history of WWE without Vince McMahon at the helm. So, it's massive. Um, what are you expecting out of tonight as far as SummerSlam? Any sort of massive, big su- surprise, big return? I, I mean, I've got some ideas as to what might happen, 
But, um, you know, and I think Seth Rollins might be the sacrificial lamb again, as far as like mystery opponent. But what are your thoughts about tonight? I mean, is it, is this arguably the most important pay-per-view in WWE history? No, not at all. Okay. I mean, Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar are, are headlighting this card. So it's a safe, they really it's a can't, safety net. It can't necessarily go wrong. Um, Honestly, I, I think we, so we're recording Saturday morning before SummerSlam. We did DWI yesterday and we had DJ on from the mindless wrestling podcast. He does a great job, brand new on chair shot radio network with us. He came on as a guest and we all kind of agreed that we didn't really see any title changes, to be honest with you. Um, I, I, I didn't understand why Jeff Jarrett was involved with the street profits and the Usos, but Sure, Jeff Jarrett, great. Um, let him get some exposure before he goes off and does Ric Flair's last match then the, tomorrow. Uh, but I, I, I just don't see anything happening. I think the biggest thing you might see is Austin Theory comes in to cash in after the match, and Seth Rollins is, decides that only he cashes in on Roman Reigns, Brock Lesnar, and just and then stops that from happening. I know I heard a, somebody say Edge was going to come back to help the Mysterios with Judgment Day. Um, who do you think Seth Rollins surprise opponent is? If that's going to be something that happens, um, I pro- if there is a surprise opponent, it's probably one of two would be my guess at this point. I think the more likely one would be Johnny Gargano. And I know a lot of the people out there are talking about wanting him. Now, I don't know if Johnny's done being a dad. Um, I do know he didn't sign anywhere. He didn't sign with AEW. Uh, and if there was anybody who was standing on the fence, wondering what he should do next, it's probably him. Um, Gargano versus Seth Rollins. I, I saw something on the chair shot group today on Facebook where there somebody was talking about this match and trying to come up with a compelling story. And I'm just like, dude, you don't always need this long drawn story. out story yeah. to just, it's just, there was be no, a match you want to see. there was no story between Cody and Seth when he returned at WrestleMania and look what we got. Um, so you don't need that. I, I disagree with that notion entirely. Uh, Bray Wyatt, of course, is the other name you hear bandied about a lot. Um, that would be interesting if Bray returned at this point in time. Cena would be, oh man, would that be great? Uh, yeah, I mean that, that Cena. Shout out to the folks. Shout out to the folks over at Fortnite. They, uh, have the Cena yes, character they that do. they play with. They do. Excellent. They do. Uh, Cena would be good. I heard AJ Styles, but Seth just beat AJ to qualify for money in the bank. So that doesn't make much sense. Um, but I, I, I tend to agree. I think, you know, everybody assumes theories cashing in and it would make sense in a match like this that he would cash in but because it makes so much sense it's probably not going to happen um i don't know and and we don't know what hunter's thoughts on theory were you know we don't even know if vince was exactly sold in theory as much as it was portrayed the kid's got talent there's no doubt about that and he can talk and he's got the look and i could see him being a massive baby face at some point down the road but you know I, this is one where you got to drag this thing out uh, you know, it's it's kind of stuff like that. Roman and, and, you know, Roman and Brock is going to be a huge match because we all assume Roman's going to win. But, you know, how many of these big losses does Brock, you know, take before it starts to minimize everything that they did to build him up as the beast incarnate? You know, at some point you're like, you know, something's got to change. And I mean, if they wanted to hedge their bet, then maybe a theory cash in would work. You know, it's so obvious and sitting out there. But yeah, I think you got to kind of get to Roman Cody at some point in time, but we'll see. I, I I tend to agree. The Prophets might be the only ones who have a shot just based on the controversy at Money in the Bank and, and just the fact that 
they were what an eyelash away from winning the titles there and and a great probably tag team match of the year that's that's one that i could see possibly happening um i'm not sure how Liv beats ronda but i'm sure she's going to <laughs> so um you know becky and bianca is an interesting match just because of where becky's been and 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 it'll be in what happened last year. So, you know, validation as to are we really putting Bianca on this pedestal or have we got gun shy and we're going back to to Becky? And that that's going to be interesting. Bianca's one of uh, Triple H's girls. So um, we'll see. I think it's got potential to be a really good pay-per-view. I'm curious. Oh, for sure. I, and especially with this with, you know, with with Hunter in charge. He's going to want, like you're saying, maybe it's not the most important pay-per-view in WWE history, possibly the most unique just because of the circumstances. And I just want to see how is Hunter going to put his stamp and distinguish this event from any other one. If he can, I I don't. Yeah, I I just don't. I don't see him like going out of his way to do a title change that doesn't necessarily make sense. Right. uh, Just to just to, to prove a point that I'm here. I think. I don't think he thinks that. I think he's going to look at it. What's the best thing we can do here long-term to move towards WrestleMania with some of the bigger things. And then short-term we're going to clash at the castle, which looks really cool. I can tell you the match last night between Sheamus and Drew McIntyre to, for, for the number one contender for the, you know, to face the winner at that. It was an awesome match. If you didn't watch it, go back and watch that on SmackDown. Just really, really the crowd, they they had the crowd in the palm of their hands last night. So, you know, we talked about that top 100 we're doing after Labor Day here on the network. And Drew McIntyre is a guy who he's not going to be as high on my list as as he's going to end up by the end of his career. So and Drew is there's yeah you said it and Drew somebody I had and then removed him for somebody else. But I'll tell you, Sheamus is definitely on my top 100 because I oh, think he's yeah he's underrated. In the top 60. He's underrated. He's in my top 60 for sure. Yeah, horribly underrated. I, and I tend to agree with you. I think, you know, if, if something By the happened, end of McIntyre's career, oh, yeah. for me, sorry, by the end of his career, he'll be ahead of Sheamus, I think. I, but for right now, yeah. he's just got he's to stay on this pace for another five, six years. Yeah, Drew's really made a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of progress over the past few years and has really come into his own. Um, but I think I tend to agree with you and stuff like I know Greg had said uh, in our in Chairshot Radio chat, you know, if something happens tonight, it's going to be something subtle, kind of flying under the radar a little bit, noticeable, but not over the top and in your face. And it'll say, you'll say, okay, that's Hunter's influence, but it won't just smack you in the face. I, I'm as curious as anybody to see what happens. But, you know, let's move on to the rest of uh, of this chapter. You know, I mean, a momentous occasion. I mean, I, you know, I'm sure it's been dissected ad nauseum on Chair Shot Radio and all the other podcast on the network but yeah i mean the world changed vince retired hell froze over but we're going to go back to a time when um vince was very much in charge and the wwf was really coming into their own so when we last the last time the first part of uh what is this chapter three i think this is chapter three of the big four project that we're doing now so um the first part of it we talked about the royal rumble 1988 and hacksaw jim duggan the first ever winner of the Royal Rumble. We talked, I know, on that episode about what happened on February 5th, 1988 in uh, Indianapolis at the main event. That's what it's called, not Saturday night's main event, the main event, one of the most watched events of all time with Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant, the rematch, Hulk getting screwed out of the title, Andre passing the title 
to Ted DiBiase, Jack Tunney saying, no, you can't do that. The only thing we can do is vacate the title. And you get, I think it's 14 guys are in this tournament that we're going to have here at WrestleMania four. Uh, and with, uh, with, I think uh, the 12 guys in the first round, Hulk and Andre getting a bye to the second round where they would face to play, each other, to face each other, to yep. face each other. Uh, you know, I, there's, Stuff of going on behind the scenes, you know, Hulk was going away. I think he was, I don't know if he was filming No Holds Barred at this point, but he was doing something. He was doing some stuff on TV. He was going to step away. Uh, this was kind of, you know, a way for Vince to get the title off Hulk for a period of time so he could do his stuff. And it had been a great run for Hulk. Hulk, Hulk had been champion for four years and it finally came to an end. One of the, you know, Roman Reigns still got a couple years to go to catch him, but a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes as to who was supposed to. And this is stuff that I've heard various sources, various places about who was supposed to end up being the champion at the end of this. I think we'll save that conversation for the end, Tony, because we don't want to in case anybody in case you're again, somebody who's lived in Iraq for many, 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 many years <laughs> and has never seen WrestleMania four. And I got to say this Looking back, watching it, I, I get the complaints about it, and we will talk about that as we go along. But Tony, this was like more; it was bigger than WrestleMania three for me when I was when I first started getting into wrestling. This was the event I remember more than WrestleMania three because three was kind of like you knew Hulk and Andre was going on, but four was like the one where it's like I'm with a big group of people. We're all watching this because it was like nothing like this had ever been done before. Three was for the world to jump into, for the country to jump into WWF and to to see Hulk Hogan beat Andre the Giant. Because everybody who was a peripheral wrestling fan or a hardcore wrestling fan, that's what you wanted to see, right? And even people who weren't wrestling fans wanted to see it just because of the sheer size of Andre and the fact that there was this this charismatic enigmatic guy named Hulk Hogan that had stood at, you thought he stood a chance and he, and he did it right. And, and, and in a huge capacity with, with the iconic slam that opens every raw and SmackDown in their pre, in their uh, entrance, every intro, every single week. And now for WrestleMania four, you have all these hardcore wrestling fans and these novice wrestling fans who, who know a little bit more because they paid a little bit more attention since WrestleMania three. Now you have something that you haven't seen in a long time for something this big. The biggest prize in the entire sport in a tournament in one night? Are you kidding me? Yes. And I think the tagline was what the world is watching. And and that was yes, very it was. that it was very true about this event because I you really and I'm so glad you put it that way because it was like Three was like where they broke down barriers and, and, and brought in a lot of fans and a lot of people became aware of WWF because Hulk beat Andre. This was the continuation of that and in a in some ways a, a bigger deal, arguably, than WrestleMania. For me it was. Um and what a what a way to pay off your best match in company history that happened at WrestleMania three in what you do at WrestleMania four, you know? Hey babe, you can't be on camera naked. Tunny's Tunny's on the phone. <laughs> show me them movies. <laughs> hey now. We this is Sorry. a fail this is a family show. Tony was like, show me the no, movies. We're, we're T V fourteen now. Oh, we are. We're T V fourteen now. So um but yeah, I think uh 
and, you know, like we talked about it earlier, that not everything needs this long, drawn-out story. Uh, this was a different era, though, where you needed kind of long, long-term long booking, and WWF was masterful at this during this time frame. So let's let's get into it and talk about it. WrestleMania 4, March 27th, 1988. The Trump Plaza Boardwalk and Casino in Atlantic City, New Jersey, which is going to actually serve as the host for WrestleMania 5 as well, which we'll talk about that in a future episode. Um Jesse the Body Ventura, Gorilla Monsoon on commentary as they are for the first six WrestleManias. Gladys Knight with a great rendition of America the Beautiful. Got a, 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 a really nice outfit as well. I'm not fashion savvy, but I did like what she had on. And she, yeah, great performance of America the Beautiful. But WrestleMania 4. Bob Uecker. Bob Uecker, too. Bob, Bob Uecker looking for Vanna White the entire time and yep. and getting <laughs> choked out by Andre the Giant. Excellent stuff it's, as we go along. Um, Despite the tournament, there are some other matches at which, you know, I mean, this is like a four-hour pay-per-view when that was unheard. People bitch about the length of WrestleMania, but eh, WrestleMania 4 was damn long as well. But we got started off with this battle royal, and... This is important for a couple reasons. Let's kind of run through. It's not a Royal Rumble. It is a battle royal. So let's talk about it. You know, we've got the Hart Foundation. The Young Stallions are in here. Sika from the Samoans. Dangerous Danny Davis. The Killer Bees. Bad News Brown. Sam Houston. The Rougeau Brothers. Ken Patera. Ron Bass. The Junkyard Dog. Uh, the Bolsheviks. Hillbilly Jim. Harley Race. And George the Animal Steel kind of a hall of fame class unto itself in this battle royal if we're being honest you know um yeah all the names that they couldn't put in the tournament they put in the battle royal you know and it's interesting there's some names there that are in there that you maybe would have rather seen in the tournament and then there's some match there's there's especially one person that had a match that wasn't in the tournament as well yeah yeah exactly so Let's uh let's talk about kind of a go through some of the eliminations and talk about this as we go along. Sam Houston and Sika, they get eliminated quickly amidst a lot of chaos. I'm not sure who eliminated them and, and it doesn't really matter. Danny Danny Davis eliminates Sam Houston and Brian B. Blair and the junkyard dog eliminates Sika. Oh, okay. Well, cool. I'm glad you're here to fill in these uh these details for George Anvil Steel yanks the not the anvil over the top rope by his goatee, gets rid of him. Both Killer Bees and Raymond Rougeau then get eliminated. The Junkyard Dog takes out Ron Bass. Boris Zukov eliminates Hillbilly Jim. Paul Roma gets rid of Danny Davis, getting a nice pop because people just don't like Danny Davis. And then uh, <laughs> Bad News Brown eliminates Jim Powers. Can he, hold on. Let's, let's, let's just mention here now. One, two, three, four, five, six. Six out of the last, what, nine eliminations bad news brown's responsible for yeah that's true i mean he's and he yeah he's a powerhouse in this match and we're gonna see how that kind of uh translates a little bit later on ken patera is gonna eliminate volkoff but then uh, volkoff is gonna drag patera over over the top rope uh but he takes out his own partner boris zukov as well so there's three for the price of one they credit they credit uh, uh, Bad News Brown with those eliminations. Maybe really? it's like when a re- maybe it's like when a shot in an NBA misses and it goes out of bounds. The guy who was closest to the ball gets the rebound stat because yeah. there has to be three. Yeah. Or like when it go when the puck goes off somebody, a defender skate into the net. Yes. It's the last offensive guy. <laughs> yes, exactly. So um, Harley Race eliminates Jacques Rougeau. We then get this cool moment between 
WrestleMania three junkyard dog versus Harley race. There's a moment in this Royal Rumble. I just love because they're just like holding each other's heads and looking at each other. And then they start beating on each other. And it's like, ah, there's no love lost here, but junkyard dog is going to slug Harley race over the top rope, eliminating the King by big yeah, pop. Yeah. Huge pop big for pop that. There. Um, then bad news. Brown is going to duck under Paul Roma and basically backdrops him um, over the top rope. So there's another elimination for bad news. Brown from here. Let's see. It's down to bad news. Brown junkyard dog and the hitman Bret Hart and junkyard dog tries to hang on here, but you know, hitman and bad news seem to have created this alliance at this point in this match or so it seems. And, Go ahead, Tony. Brett's it, Brett's more of a heel right now, isn't he? It's, it's, like the, the, Hart, Hart, the Hart Foundation is bad right now. They are still heels, very much heels, and, and this is Just actually a, where that changes. So, you still there, or did you freeze? No, oh, no, there. I'm here. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> I was I was agreeing I was agreeing with you. I was letting you go. Sorry. No, no, yeah, but the the Hearts are still heels right now, and uh, Bad News and, and Brett they decide to join up. Uh, junkyard dog with a valiant effort, but you look, you're not going to survive against Brett Hitman Hart and bad use Brown. And, and after they eliminate junkyard dog, it looks like they're going to share the victory. I mean, it's like they're holding their hands up. It's like, yeah, it's going to be a shared victory. Uh, but no, because bad news Brown is going to hit Brett with a ghetto blaster and Siguri, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I know back then they called it the ghetto blaster. That's probably not so PC anymore, but that's what it was called back then. He eliminates Brett moments later then an irate hitman sneaks back into the ring, drop kicks Bad News Brown, destroys the massive tro- trophy, and turns face all at the same time. So to a really big pop. And, you know, and it's going to be a few years yet. I mean, it's still a few years down the line before Brett is going to get a singles run. But they use this moment to flip the Heart Foundation face. And that's going to pay dividends as well because. They're going to end up, you know, firing Jimmy Hart down the line and that sort of thing. But Brett turns face. Bad News Brown is the winner of this uh, battle royal. Uh, I, you know, as far as battle royals go, th- this is pretty good. I mean, it wasn't earth shattering, but the uh, the what they did at the end was unique. And, and it's it's rare that you see somebody get an alignment shift <laughs> as a result of a battle royal. Yeah, I was going to say it. It gave the. <laughs> The the ends justified the means to any more than to any other battle royal ever almost. <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, yeah, bad news's victory is almost secondary to the fact that hey, we turned Bret Hart. So you could tell at this point that Vince is looking at Bret, and maybe he doesn't appreciate him fully yet, but he sees something there that he's like, okay, I need to do something different with these guys. And and Bret's one of the hardest workers I've got. You know, it's still not gonna. But, you know, you look at the end of the tournament and you compare Bret Hart to Macho Man Randy Savage, similar body types. So who knows what he was thinking? Hart's even bigger than Macho Man, too. You know, Macho Man was one of those guys like Eddie Guerrero who could make himself seem a lot bigger than he was. It's probably because he talked like this. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, so, brother. Yeah. 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 So yeah. let's uh, let's begin <laughs> my <laughs> let's begin Macho's march to the uh, championship here as we are going to talk about the WWF championship tournament first round. An important thing to note. I know it's foreign to you current fans of the product because it doesn't matter now, but there is actually a time limit in this first round, 15 minutes. This is going to become important, at least as far as the last match is concerned. The first match though, Hacksaw Jim Duggan taking on the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase. 
Uh, this is a pretty good match. Duggan sets up DiBiase for his vaunted three-point stance finishing maneuver. But Andre the Giant is at ringside, along with Virgil. And Andre is going to grab Hacksaw Jim Duggan by the leg. Hacksaw turns around to grab Andre, and Andre punches him in the face. DiBiase then nails him with a knee. DiBiase lands a fist drop and pins Hacksaw Jim Duggan to advance. Duggan gone. Uh, give the assist to Andre the Giant. You know, here's the thing. So I guess we can insert it here. DiBiase was, well, now nah, we'll save it for the end and talk about how it was supposed to go down and what actually went down. But uh, DiBiase, certainly one of the favorites to win this thing going into the tournament. Um, no real surprise that he beat Hacksaw Jim Duggan, despite Hacksaw clearly being the fan favorite. But, you know, there you go. I, I thought pretty decent match, plausible ending. Andre inserts himself. Duggan gets outsmarted by the uh, by the million dollar man. Match over. Yeah, they, there was a lot of quick matches here in in these uh, in these tournament matches. And that's one of but, the complaints, right? Well, but that's I mean, then you go too long and it takes forever, and you know they're like you know people get tired of it. But definitely one of the more high profile matchups in this tournament between DiBiase and and, and Duggan at the time, who was big big babyface. He was. He was indeed. Uh, the next match, Dino Bravo with Frenchie Martin taking on the original Rock. Not if you smell what I'm cooking, but the Rock Don Morocco. And he's got superstar Billy Graham in his corner. Interesting match. Um, <laughs> and, and if you watch this on Peacock, they, they can't even give us the Jesus Christ superstar music that don morocco used to come out to you know because they've got to edit that i guess that's not politically correct whatever uh so they they've got some piped in false bullshit theme music for the rock don morocco uh it's a decent enough match uh morocco's gonna kick out of a pal driver and then is gonna get the win via disqualification when dino bravo pulls the ref in front of morocco who's trying to execute a fight flying elbow smash I think like Bravo actually pins Morocco, if I remember correctly, or he thinks he has, but the ref waves it off and DQs him. So Bravo, you know, I mean, this this is a time when Dino Bravo is kind of winding down in WWF, not winding down, but not being so relevant. Uh, Morocco, who's been a heel for 80% of his career, one of the most unlikely baby faces that you would get. And I I love superstar Billy Graham's influence because, you know, Morocco comes out with tie-dye, and, and it's very psychedelic, and it's kind of fun. You know, for somebody who grew up in the pre-WrestleMania era, remembering <laughs> the magnificent Morocco, who was a an absolute prick, and his feuds with P- Pedro Morales are legendary, seeing him as a babyface is a little bit uh, a little bit different, but but kind of cool. You know, this is one of these good face turns that, that was like, okay, this is fun. I can get behind this. Well, and, and they and used Graham, that, and Graham was a huge heel as well. So they used it good. They used it well, though, to get DiBiase over. You know, like to have that hurdle, uh, to have that name along with someone even of a bigger name outside the ring. And we talked about uh, everything. Kind of, this is why this is such an important pay per view in history. There's a, even though it's maybe a, one of the subtle kind of differences in someone's career, but people acting on the other side of good and bad that you're not used to, you know, or, or the, the transition there. So that's always what makes something special in wrestling, in my opinion, even if it's as subtle as Morocco, not being the heel he was, but being the face used to get, you know, a heel over now. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And and that's, that's a a great point that you're talking about, especially where the tournament is going to go and having that 
hurdle that DiBiase is going to have to overcome as we go along. The next two matches are, are kind of interrelated to each other, and it's one of the more um, disputed and disappointing booking decisions of WrestleMania 4 because this tournament, the way it's set up, if you looked at the bracket and you could see Vanna White's going through the bracket and, and savvy wrestling fans at the time could look at the bracket and say, oh, shit, we've got a chance to have Savage versus Steamboat rematch here at WrestleMania 4. The problem is, A, they're both baby faces, and they didn't do face versus face at this point. B, Steamboat's on his way out because he's just, you know, had, I think he even brings his baby out, you know, with him at WrestleMania 4 as he comes down. So his mind is in a different place. Um, the first match is Greg Valentine. He's got Jimmy Hart with him, taking on Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Um, this is a really good, technically sound battle that goes back and forth numerous times. Steamboat. I thought it was the best match of the night. Did you? Okay. I, I, yeah, I think, yeah, I could see that. I could see that. I mean, like we're going to talk Roberts and rude, even though there's no finish. I thought that was an excellent match as well. Um, but yeah, this one goes back and forth numerous times. Steamboat is able to avoid the figure four on several occasions. In the end, Steamboat hits the flying body press. Valentine uses his momentum to roll on top of Steamboat and steal the window advance. It's a move we've seen hundreds of thousands of times in WWE over the years. John Cena typically just rolls through and picks up somebody and AAs them. Um, this is one where Valentine, who was no slouch, let's, let's you know, granted this was a, a missed booking decision, and, and I get there's reasons why they didn't do Steamboat Savage. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, Greg Valentine... Was like a two-time IC, yeah, two-time IC champion, tag team champ. He was no slouch. He was going to be in my top one hundred. Both of these guys are going to be in my top one hundred. So Valentine, I don't think he's in my top one hundred. Yeah, you might want to rethink that, buddy. (laughs) No, I think I'm good. All right, you go, you go, boy, you go. But um, uh, you know, yeah, Valentine doesn't have to take a backseat to anybody at this point in time, and and I get it, I get why they did it, but. Uh, yeah, you always wonder because you never got Savage Steamboat again. I don't think I can't recall them ever. Not even when they were in WCW. I don't think they no. they squared off. And no, nope. and it would have been great to see the rematch here in this environment and give Savage's win that's back. Something, do you think something that's something that we want more than they? I, do you think they want that? I mean, I think they're pretty. I think they're pretty aware of what they did. To be honest with you, right? Yeah, and it, to go back and if it wasn't really for the right thing. I would be personally, and and you know, especially on the Macho side of it, Steamboat seems pretty laid back. You know, oh, it would be great to run it back again, but Macho, I'm thinking, has got to be like, this got it's got the moment's got to be perfect or no, because of what we, you know, the expectations for this are just through the fucking roof, and you know, to think about what we've talked about and what they did to prepare for that match, Steamboat might not have wanted to go through that again either. Yeah, yeah, and and really, you raise a great point that honestly, they all. They could have only gone down from there. It wasn't like they were going to put on a match that was going to... to ex- it would have had to have been something that was really good that was leading them to the, to, the trilogy, right? Yeah. Ex- That's the only way to justify going, well, the second one wasn't as good as the other ones, but it's so important because of the way it led to the trilogy. Right, like the middle... Ali Frazier match, you know, which was good, you know, a good follow up to the first one, but not quite the same. But yeah, I, I get it. And I think I think that's an excellent point that both guys may have been like, look, we're not going to top that. Why? Why should we even try? You know, all we can do is 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 minimize or mess up the legacy of that match. We stole we stole WrestleMania three from Hogan and Andre. 
it's only downhill from here. So yeah, that that's a really, really good point, Tony, that maybe they just like, nah, you know, go ahead and go in a different direction. Um, so, you, you know, not to waver away from it, but it's interesting because we get into some really good conversations here too. You know, we talked about how Hogan and Andre brought so many more fans in. Do you think the addition of these, these novice or, or people who are brand new to it watching WrestleMania three, not only was it awesome for them to see Hogan and Andre, but you see maybe the greatest match in professional wrestling history up to this point or one of them. And that like, maybe that was the thing that held people over more. So, you know, Hogan and Andre got them there, but then they get to see this amazing thing that Savage and Steamboat do. So now you become the, the brand new becomes the novice. The novice becomes the hardcore. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I mean that, that's a good point. I'm also like thinking in my head, you know, you talked about trilogy of matches, Hogan, Andre, look at what happened with them. First match was one of the most iconic, important matches of all time. The rematch flooded with controversy, and even before that was nowhere near what they did at WrestleMania 3. And I know Andre was hurt, although I think he was probably healthier for the, the match in, in Indianapolis than he was for WrestleMania 3. And then you're going to look at what happens here at WrestleMania 4, and you, you could see how you can damage <laughs> this whole situation by just putting on a couple of clunkers to you know follow up what was otherwise a really good match. So... Yeah, but but I think you know WrestleMania four you know brings in a lot more people who probably I mean like me I was like Hogan Andre rematch you know this this is going to decide this that was the main thing but you fall in love with some of these guys and Randy Savage is one of my favorites because of this damn tournament and the performance that he does here so let's start off his first match is against the natural Butch Reed he's got slick with him Savage comes out with Elizabeth. Um, you know, and I, and I, my notes here are, are saying, fuck you, Peacock. We can't get Slick's music either. You know, I mean, it's just so bad. It's some of the, some of the shit that they do, it's like you acquired all this stuff, but you won't play Slick's music. I, I don't know what's wrong with his music, but wouldn't it be better to like when this contract's up for that whole library to go over to Fox and Fox, like Fox doesn't have any stream. Maybe they're just waiting for that, you know? They need to do something because the cock just sucks. You see what I did there, Tony? Well, NBC, M- yeah, NBC is just renting the network, by the way. It's one of the greatest deals that Vince McMahon and WWE have ever made in the history of their company was getting NBC to go ahead and uh, take care of, maintain, and execute the WWE network for them while paying WWE the price to being allowed to do it. <laughs> and putting a contract on it in time so that WWE can go sell the rights again to either them or somebody else for more money. money. So you marks out Brilliant. there who think Vince has never done anything worthwhile for WWE or the business. Shut you up. You want to know why no one can you want to know why you can't buy WWE? No one can buy WWE and WWE should be buying other things? Is because not only do they have to renegotiate and get more money for that. They've also come up with $15 billion worth of television networks in the last fucking, what, two, three years? And those contracts are going to come up again. We haven't even gotten to the value of the company and its name yet. We've only talked about the rights to television and the streaming network, Dave. You can't put a, pri- put a price on WWE. Is it, a, is, it a, is it $500 billion? Because it's fucking close. It's, it's Disney level. That's for sure. You know, Trillion? It's worth more than Twitter. Elon Musk should buy WWE and forget about Twitter. There you go. He ain't got enough money. <laughs> uh, this match between Reed and Savage, who's you know, is it's an okay match. 
Reed dominates most of it, but then he gets curiously preoccupied with drawing at Elizabeth at ringside. And he's doing this as he's climbing on the top rope, which is a bad idea. This enables Sa- Savage to slam him off the top rope, hit the flying elbow drop, and he advances to the next round. Uh, I, you know, this, it's not the greatest match in the world, but just that moment where Savage grabs him, throws him off the top rope, and the speed at which he goes to the other side of the ring, gets to the top, and hits that elbow, it's like lightning fast. And at this point, you're like, oh, okay, this guy's got something. Even if you're not too familiar with Savage, even if you didn't see WrestleMania 3, you could go from his first match, look at Macho Man Randy Savage and say, oh, okay, there's um, there's somebody with some talent right there. Uh, this is going to be the beginning of Macho's run to the title, but it starts right here. You know, you got any thoughts about this other than, you know, nice performance, you know, not much of a match, but I, I think, are you with me that if you're a novice and you haven't watched this and you're watching Savage in this first match, you're like, oh, okay. That flying yeah, elbow can, drop is can, something. <laughs> right. Yes, he passes the smell test instantaneously, right? With his look and his demeanor, the way he carries himself. Then you see the way he moves, and then you see the way he executes some of his best moves. Um, not to mention, you're also enhanced in you know his ability by just looking at Elizabeth and knowing that she's around him. You know, a great woman always makes a great man better. So, yeah, they don't really need to do anything for Butch Reed, so... Why show off too much of Macho Man? You're going to get him the rest of the night. So, yeah, I think of a, a smart booking, quick match. You really don't kill Reed too much, but Macho comes out and makes himself known that, hey, yeah, uh, you're going to have to go through me to win this tonight at the very least if I don't win it myself. Yeah, and, and Liz is a big part of this whole thing, and, and her presence at ringside cannot be you know understated because she's she is really, you know, I mean, you don't see – when you're used to women like Moolah hanging around the ring and, and people like that, and even Wendy Richter, Cindy Lauper, and now you've got Elizabeth, that's a little bit of a different look. It's <laughs> right. And it's not, it's not just the body with her, you know, you look at her face. She's one of the most gorgeous women ever. I mean, I can't imagine how, how much better she looked even in, in person, but she looked amazing on screen as well. And very classy, very elegant in, in a, in a different sort of way. But Let's let's move on with the tournament and talk. The next match is an interesting one. Uh, lots of man like you don't have managers nowadays. Virtually every match in the first round had a manager or two. Uh, one man gang. He's got Slick with him, so Slick's coming back, taking on Bam Bam Bigelow with Oliver Humperdink. Um, Humperdink. Humperdink. Now this match, I got to say, Tony, uh, pretty crappy in my opinion. Bam Bam's in control of this match. I mean, absolute control of this match. Until Slick yanks the top rope down as Bam Bam rebounds off of it. Bam Bam crashes to the ring floor and then ends up getting counted out as he fights with Gang on the ring apron. I've never seen any. It's the most absurd ending that you could possibly. You know, if you're on the ring apron and you're fighting with the guy in the ring, shouldn't that have broken the count by any normal standard? Any part of your body goes underneath the invisible rope, right? Or over it, that means you're back in. Yeah, exactly. And if you make contact with your opponent who's on the ring apron, it's supposed to break the count. I mean, that's everything I see. This ref just keeps on counting away. And I'm like, okay, I understand it's a plausible way to get the gang to the next round. Uh, but this was probably the worst match of the night as far as the tournament goes. I'm like, this just this just is garbage and and I you know I it doesn't it just doesn't make sense with me with everything that we know about pro wrestling 
and the way matches are constructed nowadays. But it is what it is. Bam Bam Bigelow inexplicably counted out, even though he's actually on the ring apron. Um, and one man gang advances. I don't think we need to spend too much time dissecting this one. Um, the next match is the the interesting one. Ravishing Rick Rude with Bobby the Brain Heenan, arguably the greatest manager of all time, taking on Jake the Snake Roberts. Um, Rude's music has been changed as well. So there's three people in this very first round who Peacock has decided we can't have the stripper music the way it was. We need to switch that up a little bit. It's like, Jesus, really? So this is an okay match, but it's one where Rude inexplicably in a 15-minute time limit match he uses wear down holds for most of the match. Jake can never hit the DDT and time runs out as Rude is trying to pin Jake with his feet on the ropes. It's a draw. Both guys get bounced and the gang ends up with a shitty victory over Bam Bam Bigelow, but a massive buy basically to the semifinals now. Um, so I, I like the match to a certain extent and it is going to kick off a really big feud between Jake the Snake Roberts and ravishing Rick Rude. But yeah, there's some stuff. But I tell you, Heenan was the best at this because you could see him getting stressed out as the match goes on and exor- ex- exhorting Rude on. Come on, pick it up. You got to get going. But Rude keeps using these stupid wear down holes. Fine in a 30 minute mat, time limit match. But here it's a problem. 15 minutes expires. Both guys are eliminated. I mean, in hindsight, you could have made it a smaller tournament and given the matches little bit more time there's literally only two matches over 10 minutes on this card and then there's two more that come in like around the nine minute mark so maybe too many matches but that's just the way it was you know you could have put more guys in the battle royal but they kind of learned from that they didn't have television to do these preliminary rounds like they do now either so you got to think about that as well yeah that that's true i mean that's a big point they didn't have raw back then they had you know and they weren't doing big any sort of big events on like superstars of wrestling or prime time or whatever the hell they had back then. But that concludes the first round. You know, you got DiBiase winning, you got Valentine and Savage winning. You got the gang getting a win and then a buy because Jake and, um, and the rock Don Rocco won. Yeah. Because Jake and ravishing Rick Rude get eliminated, eliminate each other. So pretty good first round. Lots, like you're saying, lots of matches, very short, arguably too short, Maybe they should have had a smaller tournament with more, you know, time to work these things. But hey, look, this is WrestleMania four guys. This is this is the gestational period of what they're doing and what they're experimenting with. So I give them some slack, cut them some slack. Um, the next match is the Ultimate Warrior's first WrestleMania appearance, and he takes on. I mean, we talked about the Warrior having a very inconsequential impact at the Royal Rumble. But here he takes on Hercules with Bobby the Brain Heenan, you know, who's managing Herc at this time. Um, This is a really meh match, which, of course, is easy to say about Warrior um, because a lot of his matches were like that. They're one of the exceptional ones, despite the fact that he's one of the most enigmatic superstars of all time for a variety of reasons. This match was... Top 100, definitely, but like I got him in like the 80s or 90s. See, I got him a lot higher just because, you know, what he did, you know, I mean, we're going to talk about it in a couple of uh, episodes. He might move up, but yeah. It's it's hard. He's so hard to place because in-ring style, forget it. But you look at everything else. Well, promos weren't good either, really. No, Uh, no. 
No, but but, but his character. ability to capture an audience, you can't yeah. you can't you know you can't downgrade. And then that. one of the greatest WrestleMania main events ever too, so Yeah, and and what and one of the most iconic matches the very next year. So back to back WrestleManias, you look at what he did, and I know he's carried by Hogan at six, and he's definitely carried by Savage at seven. But here <laughs> at WrestleMania four, I'm not sure either guy was carrying each other. It's a pretty. No, it was just. Uh, it was kind of like <laughs> okay. All right, uh, Hercules. A couple, of, couple of meat muffins yeah, crashing into exactly. Each other. Hercules tries to lock on the full Nelson, but he can't get his fingers to clasp together. Warrior's going to springboard off the top turnbuckle. Uh, both guys have their shoulders on the mat, but Warrior gets his shoulder up at the last second. This is another finish that we've seen numerous times since then. This is the first time we probably saw it in, in this sort of thing. Warrior snags a victory. Post-match, Hercules tries to attack Warrior with the uh, oh, where's my notes? Oh, with the chain, but he gets thwarted as Warrior takes his first steps towards his ascension into greatness. This this is a, a like we said, Tony. This is not a match that's going to like be remembered. But at the same time, this is Warrior's first WrestleMania appearance. He gets the win. It's not a wrestling clinic. This is typical Warrior matches, but it's still, it is the, when you look at the progression, especially like the next chapter, when we get to SummerSlam 88 and you look at Warrior's trajectory from there forward, can you say that this match, while it didn't seem to be a big deal, uh, was an indication that Vince saw something, some big things with this guy and it, this well, catapults him along. Right. I mean, he wasn't going to win the tournament and it's a guy you have your eye on, you know, that is polarizing. You just need to kind of tweak him and get him into a certain direction. So you give him, it's special on this card. It's special to have a match if you're not in the tournament and it's special that you're not just thrown into the battle Royal either. So you look at it's, it's, what is it? It's basically the six man tag the warrior match and the tag team title match are the only three matches on the card besides the throw everybody out there in the battle Royal and the tournament and Brutus and the IC title match that we're going to talk about. As oh, well. that's right. My bad. My bad. But, but no, I, that's really good. I mean, because you look at this match and you say these two guys, yeah, these two guys could have easily been put in the battle Royal with the rest of these schlubs, hall of fame schlubs, but schlubs all the same at, in 1988. Um, but they weren't, they were given their own time to tell their own story so Vince, you know, whatever he saw in Warrior, he said, you know, there's something there's something more that I, I see with this guy that I need to do something with him that's beyond this battle royal relegation. Um and I'm gonna give these guys some time to do this match. And and it's it's not a it's not a world burner of a match. It's okay. But the Warrior gets the win. And that that's the main thing to remember, especially when we see where that ends up in a few months at SummerSlam. So we then get into the tournament, the second round of the tournament. And as promised and as advertised, the second round begins with the Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant. Third time this third time's the charm, eh, maybe sort of match. This is the one that brought, you know, is gonna put butts in seats. You know, that's what they were saying. This is the this was the the uh event, the match that really got people interested in WrestleMania four. And I, I apologize for blowers and anything that people might hear in the background, but you know, gardeners can't just cut grass anymore. They got to use turbo souped up. Okay. Tunny can here. So that's awesome. But anyway, so we've given the background story to this Hulk's going away for a while. So none of us in 1988, there is no internet. There's no dirt sheets. Really? Nobody knows that this stuff's going on. So you legitimately think 
oh, you know, Hulk's probably it's it's a foregone conclusion that Hulk's going to get the title back. You know, had you had dirt sheets back then, it would have been a lot more interesting. This tournament to realize, hey, Hulk's not going to be around for a while. Um, it's an absolute crap match. It's right up there with Bam Bam and One Man Gang, and that is so horribly disappointing when you look at where we were. Uh, it, it, compared to WrestleMania three, it's just absolute garbage in every single way. DiBiase is going to introduce a chair into the match. Hulk hits Andre with the chair first. Andre's then going to hit Hulk with the chair next. Both guys get disqualified, which is like, wait a sec. You know, shouldn't Hulk get disqualified? He used the chair first, but then, oh, no, no, no. We're going to disqualify both guys. So, again, the stuff that we're used to by modern standards as far as how the rules are applied don't matter here. The only good point of this whole thing is that Hogan slams Andre and suplexes Virgil on the ring floor. And that's about it. (laughs) That's about you get another Hogan slamming Andre moment. So it confirms that he can do it. And poor Virgil sacrifices himself to save his boss. Otherwise, there's very little you can take out of this match that is redeeming for anybody involved other than this is just some way that they could bring some closure, sort of. You say closure, but then they have the showdown at Shade like months later with Hogan beating Andre in a steel cage match, which you can see on the network, I think, or on the cock. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Um, I don't know, man. I, I defer to you at this point. This, this match, there's nothing to say about this. It's just like, just filler. It's like, why'd you guys even do this if you're just going to have this shitty of a blow off to this whole thing? Well, I mean, you said it to begin with. It's the it's what got the pay-per-view buys. It's what got the tickets sold. It's what got the exposure for WrestleMania four. You know, if it would have been headlined as Brandy Macho Man, Jake, the snake Roberts, uh, you know, uh, uh, Rick rude and, and you know, whoever else Dino are in this Bravo. tournament, Dino Bravo. Yeah. I mean, you know, it would have been a secondary thought. It's not as big as three uh, Hogan Andre, you know, if you're going to keep growing and growing, that had to be part of the card and part of the main, you know, main event. That's why it's an automatic quarterfinal buy, you know. No, and, and yeah, that's the point is like the finish and the how they did it, notwithstanding Hogan Andre rematch. Here it is. It was going to sell tickets, was going to drive pay-per-view buys, and it worked. And along the way, you discovered some other people who become iconic. Um, but yeah, they're, you know, that's it. Hogan, Andre, both disqualified. Looks They're like they're both uh, gone. It's eighteen thousand in attendance, just over, and it says pay per view buy rate six point five two. So I guess we'll say what six point five million. I guess that is, yeah. or is it six and a half percent of houses available to buy a pay per view? I'm not. Sure. I don't know. I'm not sure, but no. it's 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 a big it's a big pay per view gate for sure at the time. Um, but it becomes important because the winner of the next match gets a buy all the way to the finals now, and unlike. Andre and Hulk, Morocco with superstar Billy Graham versus DiBiase is actually a good match. And it's a pretty even one at that. DiBiase is going to execute it. And DiBiase, a tremendous wrestler. And you get to see glimpses of it. Yeah, he's a heel and he cheats, but he also can go. And he's going to win this match. He's going to catch Morocco in a waist lock, drop him like neck first onto the top rope, gets the pin and advances to the finals via Hogan and Andre eliminating each other. Uh, so it was it was a pretty good match, and DiBiase, of course, benefits from the Hogan Andre situation. But you know, he and he came out to this match disheveled, beaten up by Hogan had gotten some licks in on him, and he still, you know, Morocco dominates with his power for much of the match. But DiBiase's the better wrestler. 
It makes all the sense in the world. This is one of the matches of the tournament I really liked. You know, it's interesting. DiBiase could have been WWE's Ric Flair if they let him. You know, he's a guy who you could instantaneously be drawn to boo and dislike and want to see get beat and beaten up. And a guy who lends himself to get beaten up in matches just like Ric Flair did. You know, he didn't really have a finisher. He had the million dollar dream, I suppose. You know, he he knew how to wrestle. He could execute moves. But you didn't really know how Ted DiBiase matches were going to finish if he was going to win. So hold that thought to the end, because there I want to discuss with you the most prevailing rumor about WrestleMania four mm-hmm. that didn't happen. And what if it yeah. had gone down that way? But um, so DiBiase to the finals. We know one of the guys. Meanwhile, behind the scenes, the one man gang, he gets a buy, he stands in the ring and does his stupid 747 thing and he gets advanced to the finals. Then we get on paper, this should be a tremendous match. And it's actually a pretty good one. Greg the Hammer Valentine with Jimmy Hart taking on Randy Savage with Liz. Liz comes out with her second of her four glamorous, glorious outfits. Fantastic. Um, This is another pretty good match. Valentine, surprisingly, is going to dominate much of this match. uh, But it's going to be Savage who gets the win by turning a figure four attempt by Valentine into a small package gets the win and advances to the semifinals versus the gang. Uh, this is interestingly the same way that sting beats Ric Flair for his first world championship is copied, right? You know, this, he gets the idea, or at least they probably got the idea. I'm sure it's not the first time. It's the thing about the figure four that when you execute it, you are setting yourself up for a small package and Savage shows his wrestling acumen here by small packaging, the hammer pinning him and he advances to the uh, semifinals versus the one-man gang. I would, you know, it's interesting to think, though. I mean, is is that because he's used to handling a small package? That maybe is why he's so insecure with uh, Elizabeth. (laughs) That's right. Inside, maybe he prefers to call it an inside cradle. I don't know, but, you know, small... I couldn't resist low hanging fruit. It was which apparent, which apparently savages isn't. So, you know, there you go. That was another more low hanging fruit, but not really. Maybe that's what she said. But, uh, this is a good match and it's, it's a good way to show the, uh, the wrestling knowledge of macho man, Randy Savage, and he executes the move flawlessly. So it's a move we've seen. I lost track of the number of times we've seen it done now. Probably the first time we saw it done, at least on this sort of stage. But, um, we then get the Intercontinental Championship match. Brutus the Barber Beefcake in his most high-profile match ever, probably. Taking on the Honky Tonk Man, who's got Jimmy Hart and Peggy Sue. The IC titles on the line. Um, another pretty eh, meh sort of match. Brutus is going to counter shake, rattle, and roll. Locks Honky in the sleeper hold. Honky Tonk Man in the sleeper hold. I guess I should clarify that. They won't let you put Honky Tonk Man on like create a wrestler in WWE games anymore because it's considered offensive. <laughs> so they black it out. But anyway, uh, Brutus, yeah, but isn't it a reference to music? Uh, it's supposed to be a honky tonks of music. It's not honky anything. Tonk. Yeah. It's not anything racial. You guys, it's out not there. honky man. Yeah. Honky man. But anyway, at this point, Brutus is going to put honky in the sleeper hold. Uh, but before Brutus can put honky out completely, Jimmy Hart is going to, bash the referee in the back of the head with the megaphone jimmy's gonna pay the price though as he gets his hair cut brutus gets the win by disqualification but honky tonk man keeps his title through nefarious means tunny and yeah. Uh, yeah the megaphone to the back and this is this is the brilliance of of honky tonk man with with the rain now honky tonk i think is a little underrated as far as his in-ring skills 
but massively underrated as far as a heat generator. And this match sure. here is one of the ones that really, because you were just like, God, he fucking pulled it out again. Who's going to be able to get the belt off this guy? Well, we'll see that in a few months. But um, I, I thought this was this was an important match for solidifying Honky Tonk Man's legacy. Yes, he's still, to this day, the longest reigning Intercontinental Champion of all time. And it's the way he did it that makes his reign memorable. So, uh, but Brutus... You, know, you talk about... Go ahead. You talk about him creating heat. Brutus is pretty hot himself on the other side, so it's really a nice uh, storm front created where you get a lot of energy from the crowd here, especially when Hart's getting his hair cut. Oh, they loved it. They loved it. And Jimmy just, yeah, getting pinned down and getting it. He wasn't asleep. He was just getting, you know, manhandled by Brutus. But yeah, you look at where Brutus came from, from, la- from WrestleMania 3, where he had the face turn, helps Piper out in that match against Adonis. And since then, his trajectory, like just complete upward trajectory, you know, Brutus is one of these guys that he doesn't, if he doesn't get in that accident, if he doesn't get his face smashed at some point, who knows? Because he seemed to be, you know, on the right path. Um, And, you know, this match, it it seemed like this would have been a good place to put him over, but they didn't want to do it for whatever reason. And And it works really well because the heat that Honky keeps getting between here and SummerSlam is massive, and it really sets the stage for what happens there and makes, you know, Warriors title victory over him that much more momentous. But here, you know, the typical honky-tonk man situation, champion's advantage, magnified to its maximum, Brutus wins, honky-tonk retains his title. We then get, yeah, this six-man tag team, the Islanders and Bobby the Brain Heenan versus the British Bulldogs, or the British Bulldogs and Coco Beware, uh, it's it's like you know mutual of Omaha wild country safari out at ringside. You got Matilda out there, you know. You got Frankie the parrot. Uh, Heenan's got his dog trainer outfit on, which absolutely steals probably the entirety of WrestleMania four. Is Bobby Heenan wrestling in this dog trainer outfit? It's fantastic. But the match is another one of these eh, sort of matches. Um, Haku and Tama are going to take advantage of a chaotic situation as they literally military press Bobby Heenan and dump him on top of Coco Beware to get the pin. So in the wrestling books, it'll say Bobby Heenan pins Coco Beware at WrestleMania 4 to get the win for his team. Okay, whatever. A fun match. Bobby Heenan in the dog outfit steals everything, and it's kind of cool that he gets the win here. Yeah, the, the gimmick is interesting and funny and entertaining, but I mean, a lot of people would probably have just rather seen a tag match between the Bulldogs and the Islanders. You know, you can have those other guys on the outside, but I don't even need that. Give them seven and a half minutes to just work in the ring. You probably get told a little bit better story. Yeah, and, and they did this. I mean, they did it at WrestleMania 3 where the, where the Bulldogs got screwed in that one, and here they get screwed again. And, you know, it's like the sacrificial lambs. We're going to put a – and like at 3, what was it? Danny Davis got the pin. Here, Bobby Heenan gets the pin. So you kind of see the, the, the pattern repeating itself, which is a little disturbing. Sure. But I get it. You know, it, it, you got to get the – got to give the heels some love. You can't have the entirety of these pay-per-views just be face-friendly. You got to get the heels oh, some love. Course. And this was one of these ones. Um, (laughs) Jesse is going to Jesse. The body Ventura starts posing. He gets a massive pop. 
And I, I always thought, okay, yeah, that's fine, Jesse. That's that's all great and all. But um, you, you do Jesse the Body Ventura gets increasingly more popular each pay per view until he just stops showing up for him. And this is one of these advantage examples where he gets up there, flexes the biceps, everybody goes nuts. So Jesse's loved, and you can see the this guy's just got charisma for days, and it's clearly obvious. And and it's interesting though because this is a time when heels were never cheered. It's not like it is now. But here's the biggest heel announcer in the business getting a massive pop at WrestleMania four. So that got to tell you something, because that just did not happen back then. You know, it's kind of the precursor to the the cool, badass bad guy is the actually the biggest favorite of everybody. Yeah. And, and it's it, it's 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 indicative of the fan base starting to get to the point where it's like, we don't want to be spoon fed this stuff anymore. We want to make our own decisions. And we like this guy. So, you know, because, you know, on the opposite side of him, you got Gorilla Monsoon who's just the biggest baby face announcer next to Vince McMahon that you could possibly, possibly have. But anyway, Ted DiBiase stands in the ring. He's got a bye to the final. So he takes a bow and he moves on. Then we get the title tournament semifinal match. One man gang with slick taking on Savage with Liz Liz has yet another great outfit on her third of the night. I don't know where she got this stuff or how she was able to switch and look immaculate every single time. So you got to give credit to Liz. I, I don't know if she gets enough credit for this thing, but Savage is going to withstand quite a bit of abuse from the one man gang, but dishes out some of his own hits some signature moves. Um, the match ends stupidly though. It's just dumb. Gang gets caught using Slick's cane against Macho Man right in front of the referee who can see everything, but hey, we're not going to try this. He gets disqualified. This sets up Savage versus DiBiase for the finals, but Savage does get a bit of payback at the end as he hits Gang with a double axe handle, causing Gang to fall on top of Slick and just absolutely squash him in a very good moment. And I, I love it. You know, Savage just hits the double axe handle, causes Gang to fall on Slick, grabs Liz, and he just leaves. You know, just, you know, before Roman was around, wreck shit and leave. That's what Macho Man did right here. Wreck Gang took off to the finals. Well, why stick around with a guy that big that's capable of, you know, dishing out some severe punishment when you got that next match to go, right? Make yeah. yourself look good, get in, get out, and, uh, you know, going back, help Liz change for the last match. That's right. He's going to he's gonna hit him so hard, he's going to turn him into an African uh, dancing machine pretty soon. So that's okay. <sighs> the, yeah, we'll, we'll talk Akeem in a later episode. Um, as far as, you know, the tournament is a big deal, of course. Uh, but there is another title change that happens here at WrestleMania 4. And it be kicks off what was, until the New Day eclipsed it, the longest reign by a WWF tag team champion in history. Demolition with Mr. Fuji taking on Strike Force for the. You got something, Tony? No, this kind of kicks off like one of the golden ages of tag team wrestling, though, where you, ha where you have uh, the Hart Foundation and Demolition. I believe LOD gets involved a little bit into later this, on too, as well. Line, later yeah. on, way later, later on. on. Who else am I missing here? But no, that you got, really you got, you've got Demolition. You've got the Hart Foundation. The Rougeos are still around. The, yep. uh, you know, you've got uh, the British Bulldogs are still around. You've got the Stallions. Who are, I mean, you saw it at, at the first Survivor Series with all those teams around ringside. Uh, just so many good teams. It, it, it's, it's, it's easy. The Brain Busters will come along pretty soon here. Um, it's easy when you look at modern WWE and the tag teams are, 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 you know, okay, they're getting better. I understand that AEW's probably got the better 
numbers of teams. You FTR is you know on a different level right now, but um, it wasn't always the case. The WWE's tag team scene was white hot for a long time. You had tremendous teams. Go ahead. Colossal Connection, yep. The Rockers, The yep. Nasty Boys, Money Inc., Money Inc. The Natural Disasters. I you mean, get, you get the Steiners around WrestleMania. The Steiners. 9. Yep. Yeah. They, so just an amazing run of tag team wrestling. One of the golden ages, definitely. Yeah. And, and let's, you know, Strike Force, they're the tag champions. No slouches. We talked no, about the not at all. Tito Santana, Rick Martel, tremendous team. Um, the match is okay as long as it lasts. Uh, but Martel is going to have Smash locked in the Boston Crab, which is the move that he used to get, I don't know if it was, I think it was the Anvil tapped out, or well, not tapped out, back then submitted, to win the titles from the uh, Hart Foundation in the first place. But there's all sorts of chaos going on. Tito Santana is going to go after Mr. Fuji. He drops his cane into the ring. Axe is going to blast Martel in the back of the head. This enables Demolition to capture the, the gold and begin their historic reign as the tag team champions. Uh, so yeah, the match is, is it's okay. While it lasts, I mean, there's some signature demolition, just beat downs of strike force, but Mar- I mean, like there's moments where like, I think it's ax or somebody's trying to beat down Martell and he keeps rising up and he beats him down and keeps right. It's great, great cinema, great theater, great story being told. But yeah, it was clear. Demolition was earmarked because, you know, okay, Let's be honest, LOD's not there yet, and Demolition was as close as Vince was going to get to the Road Warriors at this point in time, and he wanted to strap the rocket to their back, and he does it here. And so you get the only... What's that? 478 days. Yeah, yeah, until the New Day eclipsed that, and now you get look at the Usos who are maybe, are they are they on path to maybe eclipse that? I guess we're going to find out later on today to see just how long they're going to run, but... Yeah, demolition. Four hundred seventy-eight days that they're going to run as tag champions, uh, and they're going to go through an alignment shift. They're going to go through a face turn at some point. We're going to talk about that in about six months from now. But here they are, Tony. They get the win. They take down Strike Force and nefarious means again. It's the match is eh. The finish is beautifully done because like Tito hits Fuji with that flying forearm of his, and the cane drops right there and Axe just bashes Martel in the back of the head. This is going to, of course. The whole the way this goes down is going to fuel a big feud later on between Tito Santana and Rick Martel. That's going to go on for years. So these two, these teams, tag team champions, best of friends, the way this goes down launches demolition and launches one of the bigger rivalries for the next few years in WWF. Um, Got any thoughts on this one? Probably the second one of the top three matches of the night. And like you said, yeah, it's just super crucial. It, It makes demolition and what they're about to do with them. And like you said, a big, a huge rivalry in WWE history from one of the better, most interesting tag teams as well. So yeah, just what four Hall of Famers? I'm pretty sure in this match. Demo's not in there yet. They should be, but for a variety of reasons, they're not. Um, but well, Tito, I don't know. Martel's like Martel's not you know, in there either. I thought Martel was in there. No, I think so. You could look it up, but I mean, I. The, the, Demolition definitely needs to be in the WWE Hall of Fame, oh. regardless. But you know, Vince is gone now, so maybe we no we no one ever talks about that when you talk about Vince retiring. What's the impact on the Hall of Fame selection now? There's true. no more grudges except for between CM Punk and Hunter. Right, right, and you know, and even even then, Hunter's the kind of guy who will always do what's best for business. So that's uh, more than a catchphrase with him. I think that's the truth, but. Yeah, Demolition needs to be there. Martel needs to be there. I, I, if he's not in there, he should be. That's a crime that Rick Martel's not in the Hall of Fame. 
he's going to be in my top 100, Tony. I'll, I'll give you a, a preview of that. So, um, no, neither of them. Neither of them? Not even Tito? No. Damn. No. All right. Well, our lists are going to diverge a little bit, but I'm older than you, so these guys mean more to me than you're probably like Tito. Who? You know? You're, no. Are you no, like no, Are you no, like Jesse Ventura no. calling him Chico the whole time? Uh, hey, we can go down the list if you want off air, and we can tell me which guy you think is going to replace him. But I just can't do it right I now. Know. I had them both, and you know. That's no. I, I know you've got hundred honorable mentions. So. Yeah, yeah, I do. I have a, about 175 lists that I whittled down to 100 and still going <laughs> to fuck with it for a month. Awesome, awesome. Well, let's get to the main event of WrestleMania 4 so we can yes. talk about talk about this and talk about the event. Ted DiBiase with Andre the Giant. Virgil is not there because of what Hulk Hogan did to him. Um, Macho Man Randy Savage with Liz with her fourth outfit of the night. Robin Leach brings down the Winged Eagle title belt for the first time. This is important. Because this is generally regarded by fans everywhere, Tony, as the best WWE championship belt of all time. I can't really dispute that. The Winged Eagle belt is probably my favorite one. It's the first time we see it. Robin Leach brings it down. Uh, Your thoughts about this? uh, Oh, wait. We talked about Bob Uecker is the guest ring announcer. Vanna White is the guest timekeeper. And... Donald Trump, honey, very present at ringside for this match. A much younger, less polarizing Donald Trump at this point in time, to say the very least. Very true. Um, yeah, it's just a it's a spectacle. It's an event. It's something that you're getting the crowd ready for. It's been a long night, but now here's the meaning behind it. This is here. This is why we're here. And it's so important that Mr. Champagne Wishes and Caviar Dreams is the one that's bringing it down for you, okay? So the elegance of it when you have a guy like Robin Leach who's known for just exactly what I just said, the living the high life, the, you know, the best of what's out there to have, um, this is it. And, yeah, the Winged Eagle is probably the most recognizable and familiar to the hardcore wrestling fans. I, I like it. It's not my favorite. But uh, that's that's all a matter of art and taste. It is definitely one of the most recognizable. Didn't Cody recently say he wants to bring back that belt if he was to win it? I heard something about that. Hey, I I wouldn't be against it. More power to you. As far as the match itself, man, this is this is one of the most iconic. And it's a it's a hugely important match because, yes, the whole mega powers thing is kind of already kicked off. We saw that at Survivor Series and and leading into Survivor Series and leading into stuff like that. And you even see some promos, like when Hulk gets disqualified, Savage saying, ooh, Hulk Hogan is a cheated man, not a defeated man. Yeah, you know, I mean, so you get to see Macho doing that stuff. But in this match, and and it's it's a great match for many reasons. I mean, yeah, okay, these guys have both been through a lot. They're probably tired. I understand this isn't Savage Steamboat, but I love this match for many reasons. Savage realizes his disadvantage very early in the match, especially when he's got DiBiase on the ropes. He's going to hit his patented double axe handle to the ring floor. Andre stands over DiBiase, looks up at Savage, and basically says, jump. And you can read Andre's lips, and Savage is like, and, and you know, and Jesse's like, you can't jump from there. So Savage does the smart thing, and you know it's coming when he does it. And it doesn't matter because it just it just builds into this frenzy. He goes and he gets Liz, and he tells her to go. And now you know everybody knows or has a good idea where Liz is going, but it doesn't matter. DiBiase is going to take advantage of the match for a while. But then, of course, Liz comes back with Hulk Hogan. And Hulk comes out with that red bandana and just 
eyes blazing fury and it is just fucking awesome savage meanwhile is this stuff going on in the ring he's going to try to end the match the same way he did against butch reed with the you know grabs dibiase on the top throws him down tries to hit the elbow drop but dibiase is going to move get out of the way dibiase then locks on the million dollar dream macho reaches for the ropes he's got he touches the ropes but andre pulls the ropes away from him the ref goes to admonish Andre the Giant. And here comes some controversial moment as far as Hulk Hogan in 1988 is concerned. Hulk Hogan jumps in the ring, crushes DiBiase across the back with the chair, gets out of the ring. Referee doesn't know what happened. Randy Savage gets up in the iconic moment, looks around, realizes what's going on, does the finger, gets to the top, hits the elbow drop. Randy Macho Man Savage is WWF champion. His first championship reign and he rises to a different level entirely by winning this tremendous tournament and becoming the champion in, in, in something where everybody thought it'd be Hulk Hogan being reanointed as champion, but it's not, it's the macho man, Randy Savage who wins the title. And man, it just, it, one of the most iconic matches, one of the most iconic moments, that elbow drop at the end to win the title, lots of controversy because Hulk, Mr. Super Babyface, cheated. But I always looked at it. I think like everybody who was watching it in 88 was like, good. DiBiase for I all think, the shitty pull deserved that. Yeah, you, I think you get to a point where they it was justified because of the entire night and because of everything that had happened. It had all been one big ball of bullshit rolling downhill to get to this point where it finally went, you know what? If you can't beat them, join them. And what's good for the goose is good for the gander. And they do a great job of just setting them up for the future, too, with Hogan and Savage, right? One of the greatest storylines of all time get going here. So, yeah, it's just like at a certain point, it's okay for a good guy to use bad guy tools to beat a bad guy when they've been substantially submitted to such things. I couldn't have said it better myself. I mean, it does... At this point, it's like there's been so much bullshit. You have done everything possible. Hogan's mentality, you've done everything possible to ruin my life. You screwed me out of my title. You screwed me out of this rematch. Now you're going to try and screw my friend out of it? No, that's not happening. You Like you found my weakness is that I will only do good guy things to win. Well, you know what? Let me get rid of that weakness because if you push me far enough, I'm capable of doing whatever it takes. Yeah, and and I I know nobody who was watching that match in 1988 thought, oh God, Hulk. You know, Jesse tried to Macho sell it. Doesn't deserve this now. You know, yeah, Jesse no tried that. to sell it. I can't believe Hulk would do that in front of the Hulkamaniacs. Well, tough shit. You know, if you play with fire, sometimes your ass gets burned. Yeah. Now, wait till 96 or 97. That's right. Now, the the behind the scenes stuff that was going on. The prevailing rumor about this event, Tony, is that DiBiase was actually supposed to win the WWF championship, but Savage wasn't even supposed to be in the tournament. He was supposed to take the Intercontinental Championship back from Honky Tonk Man. Honky Tonk refused to put Macho Man Randy Savage over. So Vince decided to switch things. And he put Savage in the tournament. Savage ends up winning against DiBiase in the finals. Now, okay, now if that's true, and I've heard multiple sources who say it is, so I have no reason to say it's not. Um, man, how did, that alters the dynamics and the landscape of everything because... DiBiase, I mean, if go ahead. go ahead, no, I'm just saying, no, no, you go ahead, finish. You know, for a heel to win at WrestleMania four in the main event would be unheard because it's what it's not till like WrestleMania two thousand where a heel actually wins the main event at WrestleMania. Um, and, and like you said, DiBiase would have been an excellent, excellent champion though because he could have been Ric Flair, he could have done 
all those flourish sort of things and just piss people off to no end until Hogan took the title off of him. Granted, I think we get the better story because the mega powers formation and explosion is in my opinion, still to this day, the greatest story ever told in wrestling, but uh, it would have been interesting had DiBiase been the champion, right? I don't know. I, I mean, I... <sighs> Vince really wanted Honky Tonk to drop that belt. I'm pretty sure that would have not been a huge problem. There was many people who would have liked to have gotten up right next to Honky Tonk Man. I'm pretty sure Dynamite Kid was in attendance. He's notoriously known for bitch slapping the shit out of that motherfucker in the back, too. So there's plenty of guys that would have made him drop that fucking belt. I think maybe a bigger thing was Hogan. I think Hogan would rather and trusted Macho Man more. You talked about why Roddy Piper never got the belt. Hogan didn't trust him to do business with him. Maybe he trusted Macho Man more and knew there was more there. Got in Vince's ear and said, you know, we've done this DiBiase thing with Andre. What is it going to look like without Andre? Right. And maybe that's the problem with DiBiase is that he had that crutch. Um, I don't know. I, I Like you said, it all worked out for the better because you can't imagine a better way to do a macho man Hogan storyline than they pretty much did. One of the greatest of all time. No, I, I agree. I, I think, you know, sometimes um, everything works out for a reason that that's saying plus, plus Elizabeth. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, and Savage is IC champion. He'd already been there. And what, what, what was he going to do? I mean, unless they're going to flip him back heel and have warrior take the title. It, 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 and if Savage gets the title there, then we lose the great moment at, at SummerSlam that's coming up with Warrior and Honky Tonk Man. So whether that was true or not, I, I mean, I get, I get it. Why that thought might have been going around that hey, DiBiase, he can go in the ring. He is, he was the most hated man. Him and Honky Tonk at this point are the most hated men in, in WWF. So I could see where you wanted to do that, but I think the better decision was made for multiple reasons because you established Savage in this tournament as a big time player. And somebody who, you know, wins four matches in a tournament unheard of uh, against some of the best of all time. And, you know, and, and where he goes with the title from there and the whole story with with Hogan. So I'm kind of I'm like you. I'm glad it worked out the way it did. I agree with you that if Vince really wanted Honky to drop the title, it would have happened. But for whatever reason, and maybe he just respected Honky. You don't want to drop it to Savage. Fine. I got a better idea for him. And then you could drop it to this other dude who you are going to catapult into superstardom in a few months anyway. So, uh, so anyway, that's, that's it for WrestleMania four. The macho man, Randy Savage emerges as the brand new WWF champion, kicking off a massively big time story. That's going to carry us all the way through next WrestleMania. And we'll talk about that in upcoming chapters of the big four project as to we're on that path right now, the explode, the formation, building degeneration and eventual explosion of the mega powers at WrestleMania five. In my opinion, I know a lot. I'm not alone in this. The greatest story ever told in professional wrestling history, the best example of long-term booking that you can possibly do. But before we cut out of here, Tony score time, WrestleMania four on a scale of one to 10, what are you going to give it? Uh, because of its significance, I will give it a seven. You are the man because that is a score I'm going to give it as well. Because, you know, I've watched this back in, in years past. I probably was at eight or nine. But, you know, watching it with a with a shrewd eye, realizing oh, there's a lot these, of crap. There's a lot of crap, a lot of short matches, <laughs> um, a lot of stuff that's like this just 
But there's a whatever. lot of non-wrestling entertainment, there and is. there's a lot of significant storyline shifts, and there is some good wrestling in there. There the are steal, three, four good matches. There are. And to steal from Christopher Platt, I was sports entertained during this event. And Absolutely. It DP, sold. DP would ring the bell. And and the other thing is, you know, it established Macho Man, and that's a big, 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 huge deal as far as, you know, because you think of the top guys in WWF or pro wrestling, we're talking the top 100. I'm pretty sure Savage is in our top 10s, you know, so or, or top 15 for sure. All right, Tony. You now you're now you're now you're upsetting me, but we'll talk later. <laughs> um, but no, it, 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 if you take this tournament away, I don't know if Macho Man Randy Savage is in the top 50, you know, so it's uh, it's massively important to establish him as, as as somebody who, you know, when you look at like what's coming up, somebody who could be a legitimate threat to Hulk Hogan and selling that person. And, and this sets the stage for that. So, yeah, it's a, it's a great event. WrestleMania four, fantastic event. That's going to do it for this chapter of the Big Four. The next chapter, I think chapter four, we're going to look at the very first SummerSlam, SummerSlam 1988, which, of course, we've kind of alluded to as a big moment in it. Well, several big moments in it. And the uh, second Survivor Series, Survivor Series 88, which has some fun stuff as well. And the Savage Hogan problems becoming more prevalent, more uh, noticeable. Seeing as how there's no WrestleMania in the next chapter, we might be able to get Christopher Platt to guest appearance on one of these. I would love for Chris Platt to come on and talk something different, you know, other than WrestleMania. He might appreciate that. So, Tony, before I let you go, man, let people know where can they check you out and all the great stuff going on, thechairshot.com. Yeah, make sure you head over to thechairshot.com. Always use your head. ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash the chair shot. Pick yourself up a chair shot t-shirt. They make a great gift as well. Get it in soft style. Your epidermis will thank you. You can follow me at PC Tunny on Twitter and Facebook. More active on Twitter. Everything Chair Shot Radio Network over at thechairshot.com and on all of your favorite streaming platforms. Shout out to you, Dave. Always love doing the big four. And always great to be on Attitude of Aggression. Always great to have you on, Mr. Tunney. And I absolutely appreciate you coming on and helping me out with this thing a couple months it took us to do that hopefully the next chapter will be a little bit more expedient i'll I'll start hitting up mr platt and say start watching this shit platt so although you probably should watch you should be on too tony these are good good events to go back and relive especially that first SummerSlam. you know with what we got yeah we can what we got going on today it's now SummerSlam 2022 go back about 30 uh, years or so yeah we could triple team the next one triple teams three-way you know, it's always good. Triple threat. <laughs> All right, Tony, I appreciate it, my friend. And I will be, I'm sure we'll be talking soon about SummerSlam current before we get to 1988, buddy. Thank you so much. No worries. All right, guys, we are back. That, my friends, chapter three, big four project in the books. You heard PC Tony, my bestie and me talking about the Royal Rumble 88 in the first part of that. And then, of course, we discussed WrestleMania 4 in the back half of that. Um, just a tremendous discussion about both events. You know, and I think, you know, kind of briefly, very briefly, because I don't want this episode to be three hours, that sort of shit. Uh, I think briefly, just kind of recapping things. Um, Royal Rumble 88, the very first one, like, like we said during the review, it was not a tell. It was not a pay-per-view event. It was on like USA Network or something like that. And. It's a very different Royal Rumble from any of the other ones that have happened since then it, because, you know, it wasn't a pay-per-view and it was only 20 men. And, you know, like we said during the re- 
during the thing, some of the factoids about that first Royal Rumble, they were running a show over in, I forget where it was, Hamilton or something like that. And um, so some of the guys weren't there. Uh, some of the big players were over on the uh, over on the other part of Canada. So, you know, that impact things. But I think the important thing to remember about that is just that, like we said during the um, during the review, the the genuine organic reaction of Jesse the Body Ventura as to what was happening in the match, it was going on. And you could hear it in his voice that he's like, oh, shit, we are definitely on to something is really cool. Uh, it you know it doesn't do justice reviewing it you know audio like this but certainly go back watch that first Royal Rumble it's nothing nothing on there is a work of art um, it's not the greatest Royal Rumble match in the world hacksaw Jim Duggan kind of a trivia factoid we talked about you know who was first ones eliminated and that sort of thing uh, as far as history goes but it, it's really a, a good event to go back and look at it and see how far we've come. But I think what's more important is is stu- a few things we didn't mention that, you know, kind of like things I've looked up since even a couple of days since we recorded the WrestleMania 4 review, just kind of like adding in a few things like Hulk Hogan, like I said, uh, you know, at the beginning of this episode, had been the champion for four years to the day on the day of the Royal Rumble. And Hulk was going away to record to a film, excuse me, No Holds Barred. But Hulk also, he wanted a break. And, you know, after four years of that, of that run, I mean, and, and, you know, I've seen videos that, you know, draw comparisons from him to Bruno San Martino's reign, Pedro's reign, uh, Bob Backlund's reign. The big difference that was pointed out in some of the research I did, some of the videos I saw between Hogan and those other guys is Hulk did it on a national stage. You know, even as great as Bruno's reign was or Backlund's, it was mostly local, regional, territorial, that sort of thing. Hulk did it across the nation at a time when he was bringing WWF up from, you know, this territorial sort of organization in the Northeast to a global, I mean, nothing like we, they are now, of course, but it was the beginnings of making them into a global phenomenon. So Hulk was front and center, his workload, maybe not in the ring, of course, I know people love to talk about work rate and shit like that. Stop it. Because Hulk Hogan was everywhere doing wrestling, making appearances, promoting, just doing a tremendous amount of work. Whether you love the guy now or hate his guts is almost irrelevant to the fact that him and Vince together took this thing on and, and turned it into a global phenomenon. So, you know, when Hulk dropped that title to Andre, part of it was because he was going to film the movie. Part of it, it was he wanted to take a break. And as we did say in the episode, the original plan was to put the belt on Ted DiBiase. And it seems that the plan was to have DiBiase and Hogan meet in the finals of the WrestleMania tournament and for DiBiase to win the title through nefarious means, chicanery, who knows what they would have done. But somehow, someway, they were going to get the belt on DiBiase. Hulk was going to go away for a while. DiBiase would have, you know, been the big heel and feuded with who knows who he would have. But the thing was, you know, during the episode, we talked about how Honky Tonk Man, you know, said I wasn't he didn't want to put Randy Savage over it. That's accurate. But there's more to it than that. It was because the plan was, from what I understand, Savage was going to just basically squash Honky, uh, beat the hell out of him, take the title back. And that was going to be the end of Honky Tonk's epically long reign, even at that point. And. Honky Tonk didn't actually have a contract with the WWF. It was a handshake deal. So he had apparently been talking to Jim Crockett Promotions, and they told him, don't lose the title that way. 
um, you know, if you want, come down here, we'll take you. So Vince was concerned, and rightfully so, that a present champion would leave him with the belt, a la like what Ric Flair did to WCW uh, about four years later. In, in that he would show up down in the NWA and, you know, with Vince doing everything he could to really cut the nuts off of Jim Crockett promotions at every chance he got, he didn't want to do that. So Vince, you know, relented and they changed plans. Savage ended up being you know, the one to win the tournament. And as we said in the episode, everything worked out for the best. It's interesting to me that Honky didn't want to, you know, lose to Savage that way. But then, you know, I'm kind of, and I think, well, you know, obviously we'll probably look into the reasons behind or try to find out what happened between WrestleMania 4 and, you know, next chapter. Chapter 4 is going to be focusing in on SummerSlam 88 and Survivor Series 88, the very first SummerSlam. And obviously, as you know, the honky gets squashed and squashed royally by the Ultimate Warrior in 30 seconds in another iconic moment that really made the warrior and you think you know if that match been more competitive would that have helped the warrior absolutely not he had to win the way that he did and and so to me it's like okay well what happened between then between wrestlemania 4 and four months later at SummerSlam, where honky was okay getting squashed i don't know don't know what happened but we'll try and look into that as we go along but fascinating stuff behind wrestlemania 4 and you wonder in an alternate universe dibiase's the champion but, you know, even DiBiase, you know, he says that because of that, he ended up creating the million dollar belt. And he s- feels like he made more money with that title than he ever would have as a WWF champion. I don't know about that. But, hey, who knows? But anyway, that's kind of it. Of course, we did talk about the big, uh, big news with Vince McMahon retiring. And, um, you know, I don't want to belabor that point because we talked about it. It's It's obviously a massive, the biggest thing. That's happened in pro wrestling since I've been watching it pretty much. Uh, Vince McMahon, not a part of WWE. Well, I mean, he's the majority shareholder, like we said. And I'm sure he's got some input into something. But, you know, we questioned whether SummerSlam, what SummerSlam was going to be like. And anybody who watched SummerSlam knows by now, that was a damn good show. Uh, it felt a little bit different. Probably the best one that I can recall since, oh, 2016 i would say you know when when uh aj styles beat john cena at that SummerSlam, i think it was in 2016 um that was a pretty good one the one since then you know they've been okay i you know i think the one where you had that fatal four-way with roman um brock samoa joe and braun was really good as well uh hit and miss but i think this one was from top to bottom one of the best summer slams in a very long time finger and and triple h's fingerprints were all over it and then, like, you watch Raw tonight, and you can see subtle differences again. A whole hour commercial-free at the outset. Lots of wrestling. Uh, the AJ Styles finish with, that, with you know, Mustafa Ali hitting that 450 right into a Styles Clash. Fire sort of stuff. So you can see the changes kind of happening already. There, it looks like they're going to focus more on wrestling and not so much on some of the uh, bullshit that goes on and try to make it feel a little less scripted, a little less stiff, and I'm all for that. So we'll see. We'll see. But, you know, um, I can't say more about it than what Tony and I talked about. And, and I don't want to take up any more of your time. So anyway, I hope you guys really enjoyed this uh, chapter three of the Big Four Project. As I said, chapter four will focus in on the very first SummerSlam, SummerSlam 88. 
And then we're going to focus in on Survivor Series 1988. Uh, this is this is like I said on the episode talking to Tony. This is one of my favorite periods because we're we've dealt with now the formation of the Mega Powers. They are formed. They are united. They are going to be even more solidified going into SummerSlam 88. And then the wheels start to gradually come off. And we will talk about that as we lead up, build up to the Mega Powers exploding at WrestleMania 5, which will be in Chapter 5 of the Big Four Project. Hey, see how that worked? Interesting. Um, so we're going to touch bases on that. So that'll be fun. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy the ride with us. This is this is like I still maintain to this day the greatest wrestling story ever told. The Mega Powers, the rise, formation, an explosion of the mega powers still to this day. It's, it's a year and a half build of stuff. I still think it's the best story that has ever been told in pro wrestling history, uh, involving two of my favorites of all time, Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage. And I, I'm glad to be able to talk about it with you guys, but let me give you some contact information. We're going to get you out of here. If you want to email the show, you got questions, you got comments. What do you think of the reviews of the Royal rumble 88 and, and WrestleMania four, uh, any sort of information you might have, just send me an email, attitudeofaggression at gmail.com. Be sure to read your stuff on the air and do my best to answer it, or I'll get Tony involved, somebody truly knowledgeable <laughs> who can answer your stuff. If you want to follow us on social media, you can follow me on Twitter at Attitude Ag, that is at Attitude A-G-G. If you go to Facebook, it is facebook.com slash Attitude of Aggression. Um, if you go there, please hit the like button. Um, sure appreciate the likes. Uh, you can go to Instagram, although not a whole lot of happens there. Usually at attitude of regression, all one word. Um, if you like what you hear though, please make sure to leave a five-star review on Apple music or iTunes or whatever the hell they're calling it nowadays. Uh, it lets people know that old Dave still knows what he's talking about. 275 episodes in the books, folks. I'm really enjoying. I really like this big four project because it lets me relive some great moments in pro wrestling history uh, from a time when, you know, it was really a huge part of my life and turned me into a lifelong fan. And along those lines, we are going to leave you here with the closing moments of the macho man, Randy Savage winning his very first WWF championship from the million dollar man, TBS, Ted DiBiase, the closing moments of WrestleMania four until next time, wrestling fans and aggressionaholics, you stay aggressive, do it with attitude. We will see you for chapter four very soon. So long. Minimal slam, look at Savage going to the outside. He's up there on the top. He's going for the elbow. The Floyd elbow now. missed it. Dibiase out of there. Macho went too quick for that elbow. He thought he could end it quick. Maybe that's what he has to do. He may not have enough in him. Dibiase going for the sleeper hole. There it is. He's got it on. But right near the ropes is the Macho Man. Oh, look out, here comes the Hulkster. Oh. Oh, he clobbered a million dollar man. Down he went, the referee did not see it. That's terrible, Monsoon. I can't believe Hogan would stoop to that level. DiBiase is out cold. Savage looking around, doesn't know. Now he's going to the outside. I cannot believe Hogan would stoop to that level. The flying elbow, punch the leg. It's over! We have a new champion! It's Bedlam here! It's Pandemonium! The tainted victory, though, Monsoon! And undisputed!
Savage, the new champion of the World Wrestling Federation. You know, Ted DiBiase, I gotta say, was robbed because he had that sleeper hold on the Macho Man. He had it sunk in. Hogan coming into the ring and hitting him with a chair. I can't believe Hogan would do that in front of all the Hulkamaniacs worldwide. Well, Jazz Andre interfered early on in the match. It took the Macho Man's intellect to send Elizabeth back. And look at the tears coming down the face of the First Lady of Professional Wrestling, Elizabeth. And look at that man. What intestinal fortitude. This is Macho Man's finest hour. Well, I'll give it to him. You win any way you can. He's now the champion of the world. An unprecedented four victories here in this elimination tournament. And now he is, in fact, the undisputed World Wrestling Federation champion. Look at the tears of joy coming down the face of Elizabeth. What a threesome, Jess. Macho Madness, Hulkamania, and the lovely Elizabeth. I'll tell you, Gorilla, my adrenaline's pumped up so much, I feel like coming out of retirement. Macho Man handing the gold to Elizabeth. They have worked long and hard for this. And deserve it. And deserve it as the Macho Man, Randy Savage, has paid his homage to Elizabeth and given her the respect that she so rightly deserves. Now she's hoisted up on his shoulder with the gold. And the Hulkster saying, this is what it's all about. This is the moment that everyone's been waiting for. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place 
to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.